2: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking
2: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. college basketball should be all about watching a young man come in have good moments have not so good moments earn his way onto the court play for a coach that held him accountable learn to win under that coach unfortunately there's change but missouri's my home this is where i'm staying new guy comes in connects he adapts dennis has helped colby Kobe. colby's helping dennis You know, the rest is history. uh, That's what college basketball should be all about right there.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. The big news yesterday in the college basketball world... Kobe Brown decided to take his talents to the NBA. Alex, yesterday, last night, late last night, was the official deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft. There were a bunch of names that decided to do exactly that. We'll get to a couple of those that certainly impact a local school coming up here in just a moment. But the big name locally that decided to stay in was Kobe Brown. And I totally agree with that voice you just heard, Frank Barton, on why Kobe is a unique college basketball story right now. You just don't see this, man. Kobe Brown spent four years at Mizzou. He developed from within. He went from a guy that immediately was a six-point-per-game player as, like, a three-star recruit who came in really under the radar for Konzo Martin stuck it out through a coaching change. And then by the time that he left the university of Missouri was a top five player in the sec was one of the best players in the country. One of the most productive players in the country finished his final year in college as a 46% three point shooter, despite never finishing a season with a better than 25% three point shooting percentage prior to 2023 Kobe Brown is what I love about college basketball, man. And you don't see stories like this very often anymore. And so when you do finally see them yesterday, Mizzou fans were waiting, hoping that there was some semblance of belief that he could come back. You don't get that. Normally it's, Oh, we got one year with him. We'll see him go off to the NBA and we'll move on. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but there's just a different connection that you get when you see a guy develop the way that Kobe Brown did at Mizzou. So, I think he's going to be a really good NBA player. I don't think he's going to be a star, but I think he's going to latch onto a roster, probably be an early second round pick. And I hope he goes on to have great things in his NBA career because of the connection that he was able to make with the college basketball community in Columbia and the local areas that follow Mizzou.
3: Yeah, I got to be honest, when you guys sent me the text last night that he was going into the NBA draft, I was a little bummed because I was hoping he would come back, which I would like you mentioned, I would imagine a lot of Mizzou fans were, but it was a really fun story to witness this past year. And I can only imagine watching the success of Kobe Brown last season under Dennis Gates and then, of course people seeing the narrative of kobe brown of being with mizzou and lasting all the way up and not going through the best run with different head coaches and then capping it off with a playoff performance that kobe brown did through the regular season also that's got to at least instill some more confidence in younger players high school potential commits to go play under Dennis Gates because Absolutely. of the impact he had on Kobe Brown. Because Kobe Brown was not a recognizable name prior to Dennis Gates. Not nationally. Not nationally. Dennis Gates steps in in one season, makes him one of the hottest names in the SEC. I think that's a really important point here because Dennis Gates can take this case study to
0: parents around the high school we're recruiting right now and say, Hey, listen, we had this kid, his name was Kobe Brown. When he when I got to Mizzou was a good player objectively good player I don't want to undersell what Kobe was prior to Dennis Gates being there a really nice player but he had no chance of being an NBA guy because he couldn't shoot the three Uh, after one summer one one summer of working with Kobe Brown he went from being a career 24% three-point shooter to a 50 er, or 45% three-point shooter overnight that's what's going to get him drafted if you could just go one skill, what is it that about Kobe Brown? How, Why is he going to be drafted this year when previous years he had no chance to do so? It's a three-point shot. It appears to be a repeatable skill for him. And in the league, if you can make that shot, they're going to find a way to get you on the court, especially when you have the size and versatility that Kobe Brown does. Now he can go to a bunch of wings across the country, uh, Dennis Gates can, and say, look at Kobe, look what I did with him, you're more talented than that guy, I will get you to the league, and now he has proof that he can do it, so that's huge for Mizzou, it's huge for Dennis Gates, and it's really great for Kobe Brown to be able to say as well, because now he's going to go make himself a couple million bucks, hopefully.
1: Yeah. I, I'm fascinated to know where he goes. Cause the perfect landing spot, like a team that's good at developing players. He's a guy that I think can take off and to be a really the good, good role in the player NBA finals
0: right now. I, I so badly want to see him on the Miami heat. I think he is a perfect fit for them.
1: Yeah. He makes sense for Miami. And he reminds me a little bit of a former Miami heat player. And I've brought this up before. He reminds me a little bit. And again, we'll see if he develops into kind of being this guy, a little bit of PJ Tucker. That's really sure. kind of reminds me of a guy that not really going to be known for driving to the basket scoring a ton of points be a solid defensive player good rebounder and be able to make a ton of threes like that that's who he reminds me of if you can get that guy in the second round i think tucker was taken in the second round if i'm not mistaken he he reminds me so much of him and I, i'm excited to see where he ends up going i even got a little excited i saw some might say he might could be like an indiana pacer and let me tell oh, you i got to visit them i yeah got don't, a little bit of don't, don't join that team Are, that. it's just misery but every year I, I i'm i'm excited for him and it is a great thing for missouri to say hey look what we were able to do in year one with dennis gates because That three-point percentage isn't luck. That's something that he worked at in uh, the offseason with Dennis Gates and his coaching staff to help improve that. And that's something that, to your point, if you had one skill to get you into today's NBA, it's a three-point shot. And the fact that they're able to work on that, help him improve that skill, It's something Missouri can take across the country and say, hey, you want to come to us because we can help you get to the NBA. Look at Kobe Brown. So
0: the other thing, Gabe Diarman asked this on Twitter earlier today. He said Kobe played 123 games in more than 3000 minutes in his time at Mizzou to crack the top 10 in school history. A player would have to play five more games and 700 more minutes than Kobe did in his time at Missouri. In the era of the free transfer, do you think we will ever see a player crack the top 10 again? Gabe DiArman says, to him, it seems doubtful. The most recent guys that were able to play more and more often than Kobe Brown in terms of games and minutes. Marcus Denman and Kim English both played 141 games at the University of Missouri. They finished in 2012. It's been more than a decade since they played for Mizzou. Jimmy McKinney was the most recent player to finish in the top 10 in minutes played. His last year at Mizzou was in 2006. T-Bone was like four at the time. I don't think we're ever going to see that again. I'm just trying to imagine a scenario where that takes place. You would need like a Tyler Hansbrough type of situation where a guy is just a uniquely gifted college basketball player that maybe is not... Gonna be the same type of player in the NBA probably that he was in college. Guy. Yeah, like uh, at what's it? Edie, Edie, the, the kid from Purdue. For Purdue. He's coming back. He decided that yesterday. He was like one of the best players in the country last year. And but disappeared he's coming in back the because yeah, he's coming back because he doesn't really have a spot in the modern NBA. And I think NIL plays into this as yeah. well, where he could go back and probably make. 500 grand next year playing for Purdue so there's real guaranteed money there for him I think it would have to be a big man and it would have to be a guy that immediately comes in as a big man which is tough to do and translates to the college level I I would say the money is against it anytime in the foreseeable future of a guy playing more often than what Kobe Brown in his time at Mizzou is that
3: fair in your mind yeah I would say so and I just I wonder if you see more guy. I mean, the transfer portal is going to be there no matter what. But I wonder if you see more guys take the Kobe Brown route, if you find the right coach in the right place. It's all I I think the I
0: think NIL helps because now you can keep guys in school a little bit longer as opposed to them being drafted with an un, a non guaranteed contract, which is what happens late in the second round. And then certainly when you go on drafted, I just think it's tough. It's really difficult to convince a guy to come back for four straight years. And that's what
3: it would require. Can Mizzou be the anomaly in that, though, in terms of if you have Dennis Gates in place? I don't think so, because, like, why couldn't Mark Few at Gonzaga be
0: that guy? Why couldn't Bill Self at Kansas be that guy? These are Hall of Fame level coaches, so it's not me disparaging what Dennis Gates is as a coach. I think he connects to these guys. Clearly Kobe even like he gave serious consideration to coming back. That alone is a
3: win for Dennis Gates. But Mark few did keep everybody's unfavorite drew Timmy
1: again, but another modern big man yeah. that didn't have a role. I, I think you'd have to have a guy that comes in and the guy I'm going to because it r- reminds me of him. It, it would have to be like a Kofi Coburn, a guy that comes in yeah. and starts right away. I mean, Coburn played in He started 30 games his first year at Illinois, 19 and 20. It would have to be that. And I was actually shocked that Kofi ended up not coming back last year to be with the team because he did go to the draft. And it was like, I don't see a role for him. He wasn't drafted. He ended up signing a summer league deal. And now he's playing overseas somewhere. So, like, I think it has to be if it's going to be a – get into that conversation we're talking about i think it's got to be a big man he's got to start from day one that that's what i think it would have to be
0: all right t-bone mizzou was one of the losers yesterday because their best player decided to take so his talents to the nba as expected this was the expected route for kobe brown and we're all happy for him disappointed for mizzou happy for kobe brown illinois was a big winner you have coleman hawkins and Terrence Shannon coming back for yet another year of Illinois basketball. Here was the Field of 68 podcast with Jeff Goodman. What they had to say about Illinois leaving the day as, in their opinion, the singular biggest winner of the NBA draft deadline day.
3: Terrence Shannon was one of the more surprising names to come back because I think like he had a shot uh, to get paid some guaranteed money in the NBA. Hawkins was close to leaving. Really close, and and understandably so. I mean, Jeff six ten has the ability to shoot it a little bit, handle it a little bit. Like
2: there's, he just oozes NBA tools and potential. No, he doesn't. You have to be happy if you're an Illinois fan, and uh... on paper that looks great for Illinois. On paper, I think Luke Goody coming back, sincere Harris, Ty Rogers, those guys all had moments where they kind of popped
3: yeah on paper the blues offense looked like it was going to be dominant this past offseason on paper the cardinals pitching staff looked like they were going to be able to get the job done i would love to hear a
0: line i line eye fan tanner hendrickson your reaction when you first saw him. now terrence shannon coming back that's great i i'm shocked he's coming back honestly <laughs> Damn, I am that's too. a really good get for illinois and i i think that's going to help them a lot they're going to be a top 20 program next year because of him really but Coleman Hawkins was your least favorite basketball player. I think you've ever watched in an Illini uniform for any extended period of time. Your reaction when you saw that he's coming back for year four at Illinois was what?
1: Oh bleep! (laughs) (laughs) I look. I'm excited to get (laughs) Terrence Shannon back. I I I thought for sure Shannon was going to be gone. I I was skeptical if Hawkins was going to be a guy that could get drafted in the NBA because. Though, yes, he seems to have the tools in terms of you've seen flashes of him be able to show off the dribbling, show off the three-point shot, be able to rebound. He's so inconsistent, and he talks such a big game on the court that it annoys the crap out of me. I, uh, I, I find it very frustrating that Coleman Hawkins is back because he, he's just – I, I think his biggest issue is he's too slow on his decision making. It, it's like what the blue said about Nick Letty on the power play. Why not put Nick Letty on the power play? Well, his decision making is too slow. That's that's uh, that's Coleman Hawkins in a nutshell. Because there's times where we're like, oh, he's open. Oh, 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 now we're now we waited too long and now we shot the ball and forced up a three that we didn't need to. I, I, I'm disappointed Hawkins is back. I'm not gonna lie. I, I could have gone a year without watching him in the orange again. A,
3: f- a fans team gets players back that made the tournament last yeah. year. And, and one of is them is not, a legit NBA prospect. <laughs> and he is not happy about it. Tanner, what's it like to be an Illinois basketball fan? It's tough man. Now, yeah, yeah now real know, hard. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say
1: real hard. I now know the season's chalked. We got Hawkins back. Underwood's going to force him into too much playing time again. It's going to be a mess. If you
0: are a college basketball fan, yesterday was a massive day because of these names that either entered the NBA draft and kept them in or withdrew. There are a few of those guys that can still end up in the transfer portal. So whether you're a Mizzou fan, an Illinois fan, maybe somebody else, If there is somebody that decided to come back to school, especially if they are a grad transfer, they do get to transfer once again. So it's possible that some of those guys that entered will end up at a new school by the start of next season. We'll we'll certainly follow along to see if any of those guys end up at Mizzou or Illinois or Salou. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, the Blues going cheap at forward probably the right move for them. Jamie said there's one guy that they should be looking to emulate when they go to the market this offseason. We'll get into that coming up at 1130. But coming up next, what is the Cardinals short-term playing in the outfield? I think it's going to include at least one guy that is currently playing down in Memphis. When is he going to be back up? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's face back, Jordan Walker
3: was not the issue when he was sent down. The guy's an electrifying player. No, he's not a great right fielder yet, but you know, he hit, he had hit 114.7-mile-an-hour ground ball the other night. What's wrong with that? You know, I, I don't think he's ever going to be the 35-40 home run guy, but I think he can be a 100-RBI guy. I think he can got a guy who hits 35 doubles a year. Put that in any lineup. Any team in baseball would take that right now.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Denton, Cardinals insider for Cardinals.com, on with us yesterday. If you missed any of our conversation with him, be sure to check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101ESPN app is where you can Especially go. Especially the end of it. To find it. Right, Tanner? He did call T Bone an egghead, so that is something that you could find. And at it the end was of on podcast. the Rewind I three didn't hear one four. It. So. he was talking about (laughs) potentially bringing up Jordan Walker Walker once again hit a home run yesterday. He has heated up in a big way over the course of his last 19 games. He's batting 275, but he's also hitting for some power again. He has six doubles, three home runs and 15 RBIs in his last 19 games. Alex, I think it's time. I think it's time for the Cardinals to call him back up. Now, you don't have to do it today. Like, I'm not saying by the end of the day today, if they don't do this, I'm going to call them out. No, like, I don't really care what the timing is on this. But by the start of this weekend, I think you should be with your big league roster. I think you go ahead and like, if you could make one move prior to Friday, it would be send down Barrera, bring up Jordan Walker, and then just start Jordan Walker in right field every day. Because right now you don't have a third starting outfielder. I think two of them, if Newt Barr is healthy, are Lars Nupar in center, and either one of Brendan Donovan or Alec Burleson in left. That's your starting outfield for those two spots. If you do that, I don't know who's starting in right field. Probably Oscar Mercado right now. Ugh. Maybe Tommy Edman right now.
1: I don't know if you can start him in the outfield because Paul Young's cooled off, so I think Edmond has to revert back yeah, to shortstop.
0: I, I just don't think that you have a great option out there. And so if you're lacking options and the guys that you can put out there are potentially below average defensively anyways, then go with the guy that was one of the top prospects in all of baseball that you had on the opening day roster for a reason that has seemingly recaptured his form and, based on all reports, is looking like a confident player once again. Are you going to have some adventurous routes in right field? Sure. Is he going to go through some slumps? Absolutely. But the guys that are up right now aren't really hitting at a high level anyway, so... I think it's time. I think this is when I would go ahead and make that move. He's made the necessary adjustments. I think it's time to go ahead and get Jordan Walker back up to the big Anybody league
3: Anybody who is saying, well, don't bring Jordan Walker up yet because we don't want to deal with his defense in right field. Have you watched the last three or four weeks of Mercado in center or Mercado in right or Juan Pez in left? Like, there's nothing wrong with having Jordan Walker in right field and putting a little bit of growing pains through him in terms of playing defense. If the bat's playing, bring him up. You should bring him up. He should be playing, especially after what we heard with John yesterday talking about how how impacted he was of being sent down at the beginning of the season. So that is something that I would be
0: curious about. Uh somebody on the text line brings this up. 314-399-9646 is the Air Cup for service text line. I do think this is a fair point and it is something that I would at least consider. They say, I may be in the minority on this, but I would be really careful about bringing back Jordan Walker because I don't think you can send him back down again. If he were to struggle, maybe it is for the best to keep him down in triple A, keep him having success. And then later on this season, when you feel 100% right about it, you go ahead and bring him back up. Now, that is not how I feel about the situation. I would do it now. I think what they say about sending him back down again is a fair point, though, of, This is probably your one mulligan. I'm not sure you can do this yo-yo situation where you're bringing up and sending down. Bring him up, sending him deck down. Especially given what John Denton told us yesterday, which was that Jordan Walker was really hurt by the fact that he was sent down with some pretty solid overall numbers. Although we all look at the underlying stuff and we understand, and I think he probably does now. It wasn't sustainable, but he saw, hey, I'm batting like 270. I'm hitting for a little bit of power. Why am I getting sent down right now? It was hard for him to understand. Fair. I get it. If you do that again later on this season, I do think there can be a human element to this where maybe you do lose him a little bit for the 2023 season. I think he'd be fine long-term, but for 2023, So maybe that would be one reason why you don't make that decision today. Then don't do it again.
3: Bring him up and keep him up. I mean, I know Nolan Gorman didn't go through the slump that Jordan Walker was going into there a little bit, but you stuck with Nolan Gorman all season last year and you had him work through things. And you didn't. You did, though. I mean, he was on the team. Uh, He was sent back down, though, eventually. Yeah, but he was brought back up towards the end of the season. But then he didn't have a role. That's fine. And I know you want the at-bats for him, but... I, think, I don't think you can have him here sitting on the bench.
1: I agree. I,
3: well, you can, you have a spot open to you in the outfield, so he wouldn't be. But what I'm saying is, like, you stuck with Nolan Gorman. Even after you put him down, you brought him back up. You didn't have a roll, but you wanted him with the, with the club. You want Jordan Walker with the club right now. Even if he struggles and more guys are hitting, and you, you don't start him for a week stretch. Keep him with the club, because that's going to be... The growth period of all this, and I'm not a former player. I don't know anything about this side of it, but I've seen it. I've seen it with a lot of guys that have done the up and down, and I've also seen guys that have stuck and how they've grown, whether it's in hockey or baseball or whatever it might be. Jordan Walker should be on this team on Friday, and Jordan Walker should not go back down in the minors the rest of the season. He should be up here even if he goes through a cold spell.
1: Yeah, I I, I think once you call him up, he's up here for good. I I don't think you can do the yo-yo back and forth with Jordan Walker. And if he's up here, he's got to be starting. So you have to go through those cold spells with him and hope that you can work out him if you do bring him up. I I think they're going to be, though I tend to agree with you guys, I I would probably call him up on tomorrow on Friday for the start of this Pittsburgh series because there's clearly an open spot right now. I I would have Edmund at short. I'd go Gorman at second. Donovan left, Newbar center, and Walker in right field. I think they're going to be a little bit more cautious with it because I don't think they just want to look at, what did you say, 19 games? His last 19 games he's been playing well. I think they want to see a long, sustained period of success down in Triple A like I'm talking potentially till the end of June. And also that gives them time to go, okay, Carlson's getting ready to come back, so we're going to be inserting Carlson into this lineup. How much longer until O'Neal's ready to go? I don't know if they really want to see much of him, but I do think they want to see some more of Alec Burleson. Mo said that when he was on with us yeah. two, three weeks ago. so And
0: Burleson, by the way, I think he gets like –
1: put into scrap heap
0: because he's not this shiny shiny object that was a top 10 prospect in major league baseball alec burleson was a top 100 prospect in major league baseball guys and he has been hitting lately he's been one of the very few guys on the cardinals that has actually been hitting pretty well you look at any of the underlying metrics it's starting to show what they expected to see he hits the ball hard he makes contact a ton sometimes he is a little bit too much of a free swinger i think but He's done a pretty good job. And defensively, listen, it's not pretty out there. I would not call him an above-average outfielder. I think he's, like, below average. I don't think he's bad. I think it gets overstated sometimes how bad he is out there. So I I do have – I've got no problems with him being one of the guys
3: in the outfield. I think if he's one of the four –
0: that gets regular playing time
3: i think that's perfectly well, fine for. i think the other roster move should be Juan Yepes go down and bring up moises gomez
1: and, and I, I think I'm that's possible and, and i think that one makes sense because what's he going to serve he's going to serve as a bench role and, and that's fine but if you call up walker you have to create this kind of jam of okay he's got to be in right field and then it's okay now who do we put in center large new bar. so two spots are locked up and then they've got to figure out left field and with carlson coming back we'll see what they want to do with him i think they're going to plan on starting him in center field And they still want to get at bats for Burleson. I don't know how they view O'Neal. I think they're done with O'Neal, but they're going to try and trade him. I think they're going to wait and give this more time to see success for Jordan Walker because you don't want this just just to be a hot 19-game stretch. And then he goes cold right when you bring him back up to the major leagues. Not saying he can't hit major league pitching, but it's the ebbs and flow of a baseball season. So if you call him up too late during this hot streak and he goes cold— I don't think you can send him back down. And not only can you not send him back down, you need to be starting him every day up but here Alec in St. Louis. Alec Burleson
3: doesn't have the outlook that Jordan Walker does. And as much as you want the at-bats for Alec Burleson, those are going to come throughout the regular season. I need at-bats for Jordan Walker. I need Jordan Walker to continue to play and learn at this level rather than keeping him in Memphis because he's figured it out. He's got it going. It's not a five-game stretch. We're talking about a 19-game stretch here. I and mean, To me, that's still too small. I, I don't think it is. I think he's figured out what they I wanted mean, him Young to work was on.
1: for, what, 20 games? And now look at him he's gone cold again. That's a different entity, though. That's three years of Paul I understand, but what I'm saying is, is every baseball player goes through it, and Walker's not reaching his ceiling this year. You put him in the minors. You need to be more cautious with
3: him. You put him in the minors because you wanted him to get the ball off the ground more. He's showing that. He's got more power. He's hitting for, or he's getting the ball off of the ground more. So he did what you asked him to do. Now, why are we keeping him down there? Bring him up. You're already playing Oscar Mercado and all of these guys in the outfield. You've got a spot for him. Dylan Carlson may be on the, the the fast track back, but he hasn't even started a rehab assignment yet. And that's
0: that's the important part to me is that, okay, so you end up bringing up Jordan Walker. He's starting in right field. I think there's enough playing time to go around. I think you can play Jordan Walker in right field. I think you have then playing time to go around for Lars Newpar, Alec Burleson, Dylan Carlson. Dylan Carlson was already a fourth outfielder for this team coming into the season. If you simply wanted to platoon Burleson and and Carlson, you could do that. If you wanted to platoon them in one of those spots, you could make that work. If you wanted to platoon them with Brendan Donovan in the outfield as well, you could make that work. Paul is a really good uh, portion of this conversation as well. T-bone you mentioned he's gone very cold. Totally agree. That's going to open up some opportunities for Tommy Edmund to scoot back over to shortstop. Maybe that opens up opportunities at second base for Donovan or at DH with Gorman playing at second base, and now you've got opportunities at DH, maybe that can be for Jordan Walker. Maybe that can be for Moises Gomez. There are spots that are opening up right now because there are so many guys that are going up and down regardless, depending on the day. I, I think they've got opportunities and I wouldn't worry too much about Jordan Walker right now kind of going through some slumps, potentially he's going to happen. And at some point, they have to just accept it and run with it. I think the reason why they didn't earlier in the season was twofold. One, his stats in terms of the ground ball rate were exceptionally high. I mean, he was hitting the ball on the ground way too much, not just for him, for any major league player. Like, you don't find guys that hit the ball on the ground 70% of the time, and he was approaching that. Two, the team was going through it. It was one of the worst stretches of Cardinals baseball that we have ever seen in the history of the organization. We're talking about 1908. Like, we're talking about who was the guy? Uh, Pug. Uh, There was a dude named Pug on the 1908 Cardinals. When you're going through that and you have a rookie that is potentially going to start going through really bad slumps, those two things do not correlate very well together. You're not going through that right now. Now you've got a team that is starting to get back into the mix and Walker could be a part of that push to get even further into the mix. So I think this is the right time to do it. I think they've got opportunities in terms of playing time available more than enough to go around for all these guys. I think it's, it's time. It's time to go ahead and make that move yesterday, by the way, speaking of this outfield, MLB announced the all-star designations for respective teams and what position you can go ahead and vote for each player for those teams. The Cardinals have a catcher representative and it's Wilson Contreras. I could have thought it was going to be Trez Barrera. They have three outfield options. Lars Newbar, Brendan Donovan, and tommy Hetman, because of course a shortstop nominee a 2019 all-star shortstop by the way and paul DeYoung, and they've got nolan gorman listed at second base i think there are two big takeaways from this by the way their uh, dh opportunity is alec burleson
3: which is just hilarious has, he, for has him. he had a dh opportunity this I think, year i think stalter said yesterday he's had dh in three games that makes sense sure of course <laughs> if that if that guy's getting dh at three games then why the hell is tommy Edman not a shortstop for you why not um the reason
0: why i think they did this is twofold one it tells you everything you need to know about their current outfield mix if you had told me at the beginning of the year tommy edmund would be listed on the all-star ballot as a as an outfielder i would ask what in the bleep happened how did we get there for a million different reasons. They were already too crowded in the outfield and he was supposed to be a very good shortstop for them as John Mosaylock said in the offseason. And two, I think they just want Nolan Gorman to be an all-star, man. I think they know none of these outfielders are getting in. It doesn't matter with DeYoung. You're going to get Goldie and Arenado in. And the best opportunity for Nolan Gorman to be voted into the All-Star game this year is if he's listed as a second baseman. So I think that's what this is all about, really, because then that if you put him at second, that pushes Tommy Edman to the outfield and you just make it work from there. I think this is really about Nolan Gorman and he deserves it. I'm glad the organization did it this way. I know that everybody's kind of going crazy about it. I think they did this right. I I think it's smart.
1: I agree. I, I think it sets up for Nolan Gorman to get a chance to be an all-star. And like second base isn't a completely loaded position. DH they got some big names that'll be there and thrown into that outfield. And again, like Edmund and uh, Donovan, like they're good players, but are they all-stars? Not really. So you just kind of throw them into that position in the outfield. And let's be honest, they didn't want to reward O'Neill or Carlson. They, they want Gorman to have a shot. He's performed to be a guy that should be an all-star. And I do think it says a lot about where their construction of the outfield is because I totally forgot about that Mo comment in the offseason of Tommy Evans, a really good shortstop, and now he's listed as an outfielder and he's been playing right field for the Cardinals. Hell, he was in center field the other day because they're dealing with so many injuries. I think
3: this is a perfect epitome of how the season has gone for the Cardinals. You Absolutely. got guys in random positions that you didn't even expect at the beginning of the season. Yeah, your, your two second
0: basemen for the National League are going to be Luis Arise and Nolan Gorman. Those are going to be your National League representatives at second. It's possible that the Cardinals could have three guys on the infield playing in this year's All-Star game with Nolan Gorman, Nolan Arnato Paul Goldschmidt. I, I know that people will push back on the Arnato thing. Guys, Arnato's going to make the All-Star game don't, because his name is Nolan Arnotto.
1: Don't Don't vote for him.
0: <laughs> he's got to get it. Right, year. wrong or indifferent, Whoa. he's going to end up getting it. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll get to questions and answers. Three one four three nine 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 six four six 399 646 is the air comfort service X line. But next, the Blues going cheap at forward is probably the right move for them this offseason. I think there's a caveat, though. There's one added thing that I, one added element to that conversation that I would like to throw into the mix. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: This is the kind of move that Doug Armstrong has to make again in the offseason. He has to find a player that is in and around that age bracket. Uh, has the potential, has shown the ability before. Maybe wasn't a great year last year. Contract's not going to kill you, and give him opportunity and hope that everything trends in the right direction. He did a great job in bringing in Sammy Blade. Did a great job in the Kapanen deal, uh, and Verona too was a really good one. But the players took the opportunity and ran with it. So I think this was, you know, the Sammy Blade deal looks great for Doug Armstrong. Looks great for Sammy Blay. And now at a million
2: dollars next year, that's a great cap hit for a guy that's probably going to have a pretty big impact on your team.
0: That was Jamie Rivers yesterday on the fast lane. Hard to disagree with anything he said there. Sammy Blake coming off of a really impressive uh, performance in the world championships. Also, nine goals, 11 assists. That's good for 20 points in his 31 games last year after being traded to the St. Louis Blues. Hell of a finish to the season for him. Hell of a trade for Doug Armstrong to bring him back here to St. Louis. And then maybe more importantly, the contract bringing him back for just a million dollars in 2023. Really nice move for guy that's going to be 27 years old, brings a little bit of that sandpaper to the mix, also has a little bit of that skill. Alex, I agree with what he's saying there. The Blues are probably going to need to go cheap at forward this offseason. I think that's why we've brought up Ross Colton. I know people probably get sick of us uh, banging that drum, but it's not so much because we think that Ross Colton is this superstar player. By the way, if you're not familiar with his work, he's a third-line center for the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's a restricted free agent this offseason, and he's probably going to end up dealt because – the lightning just don't have the money to be able to make it work. It's probably going to get somewhere in that two to $3 million range on a bridge deal. But the reason why we bring him up is because of that salary, because he's likely to be dealt because he can fit into that mix of being 26, 27 years old, growing with this current core group of players. And he's good both ways. He brings a little bit of that heaviness to the game. Like he fits the criteria of what Jamie rivers put on the table there. I would add one other bit of criteria though for this offseason I don't think you're just looking for a reclamation project it's not just that they need to be 26 to 28 years old it's not just that they need to have a 200 foot game I think they need to play center I think that's where I've arrived I'm not all in on the Pavel Buchnevich at center project I think it was fun it was smart for them to find out what that looked like but the face-offs are a bit of a problem and I think he's just a better player on the wing so for me this offseason I'm looking for somebody relatively cheap That becomes available, that is in that age range that they're looking for, that can, at a reasonably high level, play center for me long term.
3: It it really comes down to who's available, because as much as I do agree that it should be a centerman, I can see the Blues going with best available on the trade market in terms of reclamation project, mostly because... One, I don't know what Pavel Buchnevich's mindset is. I mean, we've heard both sides of it. Look, if Buchnevich says, I want to play center moving forward and commits to upping the faceoff numbers, he could be... 1A, 1B in terms of centers with Robert Thomas. I mean, he's got the ability and you know the defense is there. I mean, that's the two-way centerman that you're hoping for that pushes Braden Shen to a third-line role. The other one is, what do the Blues see in Zach Dean, who played really well in junior hockey. They acquired him from Vegas. Sounds like he's ready for the NHL. Is he ready to contribute in a third-line center role? But the only reason I I say best available is because there's a lot of other guys that fall under the criteria of what Rivs is talking about that are cheap that are in the age range, that play wing, that make you a better team. And I look at the New York Rangers as a perfect example. Look, if the Rangers can't come to terms with Lafreniere or feel like that they need to go a different direction, I- I'm going to pounce on a 21-year-old who was selected first overall who might be underwhelming to New York Rangers fans who could be a top-six winger for you on this team. Now, yeah, it pushes David or Zach Dean or somebody else into a centerman role, but that guy is somebody who could potentially be a first-line winger for you. Capo Caco is another one uh, who's got one year left to 2.3, also a high draft pick by the New York Rangers. Then he's an RFA. Maybe he gets dealt. So as much as I want Ross Colton and think that that is the piece that could be the reclamation project, man, if there's a winger out there that somebody is just willing to give up for nothing because they're kind of done with it need to go elsewhere – I'm going to take that and say best available, and we'll figure out the centerman spot. If I told you it was the same return, because
0: it might be, honestly, like the, the name doesn't have the same value, but I think the games are, are not all that dissimilar, honestly. Like if I gave you a blind test, let me ask us, let me put this out there first. If I gave you a blind statistical test of Alexi Lafreniere and Ross Colton, people would take Ross Colton. Now, that sounds crazy, but he has been the more productive NHL player. He's been the better guy when he's been on the ice since be- getting into the NHL. So I-, I think that's an important caveat here. If I gave you a just blanket statement, it's the same cost for either of them. Let's say it's one of those late first round picks for either Alexi Lafreniere or Ross Colton. Which one of those would you rather add to the Blues tomorrow?
3: It would be Ross Colton. And I don't even know if it's more the position than it is the age, how much you're going to have to pay him in terms of restricted free agency and how he plays. Like the background of Ross Colton to me is more intriguing than Alexis Lafreniere because he's been in the Stanley Cup final multiple times. Heck, he's won it twice and he's been an impactful piece. It's not like he's just been a healthy scratch on that team. He's been a, a, a contributing piece to that run and he plays penalty kill, and he plays power play, and he wins faceoffs. and he's got offense, and he plays defense. Like, it's everything for you. So if you're just giving me the blind test and it's the same pieces, I'm going to lean more towards Ross Colton. But if you insert the, but this one was selected first overall in the draft, it's going to perk my ears up a little bit more. And I know you're falling into the potential Neil Yakupov conversation where you're bringing in a first overall pick thinking he's going to be great, and he doesn't pan out to it. But I look at Lafreniere different. It really is just in terms of if I'm Doug Armstrong, what's the trajectory of my team? Because I've got Snuggerud, who's going to be a part of it. He's a winger. I've got Duke. If I view him as a part of this, he's going to be a winger. I'm keeping this roster in place. And Bucinovic doesn't want to play center. Well, then I need to go center in that spot. It also could uh, depend on what you do in the draft. And this is why I don't think you're
0: going to get anything until like, I think this, whatever the blues do with those late first round picks, I think will take place on draft day after they select their first pick. Yeah. I I think that they will have the conversations ahead of time. So that way they kind of know they they'll probably have some kind of whiteboard somewhere where they write down all of these different scenarios, right? It becomes a choose your own adventure, similar to what we did uh, with the Cardinals in this past off season, where it's like, Scenario one, two, three, four, five, and all the way down to like 27 of the different scenarios of what it could look like. One of those scenarios is probably we trade up to number four and get a center that we take in the top five that immediately is plugged in as our third line center this year. Yep, that is a potential outcome for them. And if you do that, well, then there's no reason to go out there and get a Ross Colton because now you've just drafted the guy that you hope becomes a better version of Ross Colton. And in that scenario, maybe you do then go out and trade for an Alexi law and say, you know what? We've got too many guys for our top nine. We'll figure this thing out as we go. And you just make it work. Maybe that means that Jake neighbors ends up on your fourth line to start out next season. Is that ideal? Maybe not, but having an extra forward is not inherently a bad thing for the St. Louis Blues. So I think there's a lot of different ways that this can go. I think the most likely scenario for me, if they end up keeping their number 10 pick and then just taking somebody, whoever that is, I think it is that they add a 26 to 28-year-old center that is on a cost-controlled contract at less than $4 million per year, and they end up trying to buy low on one of those players. The way that they did with Kapanen or Verona or Sammy Blay, they got it right with all of those guys. Now it's time to do that one more time, and in my opinion, for this offseason, I think it makes the most sense to do that at center.
3: Yep, and it all comes back to Ross Colton. And again, like you said, I know people are sick of hearing it, but man... There's just not a lot of centers that are likely to be available this
0: offseason. When you go through all of the teams, you try to find the likely trade candidates. Like, and if I'm Doug a Ar- lot of
3: wingers, there's not a lot of centers. And if I'm Doug Armstrong, as much as I want cost control, I want somebody who brings a little bit of experience to my group. Now, I know you've got Shen and Falk and Krug and Pareko and all these veterans, but man, if I can add somebody who's been there, done that recently, has been around a winning group of players. That's one thing that I do feel like this roster could use next season as they infuse these younger guys into a leadership role, kind of bring in some glue guys. And Ross Colton seems like he'd be one of those guys.
0: Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service Tax line. If you guys have any questions, we'll try to give you some answers here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe it's VK and Ferrario's Questions and Answers on 101 ESPN.
0: I'm Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon. Kylie 3143999646 is the air comfort service X line Four questions and answers from the 573 guys. Which lower seed is more likely to sweep their respective championship series, the Miami Heat or the Florida Panthers? I will go ahead and answer this definitively. I don't see. Um, I hope I'm wrong. This would be great. I don't see any scenario whatsoever in which the Miami Heat sweep the Denver Nuggets. It would be one of the most shocking results in an NBA Finals of my lifetime. In fact, probably the singular most shocking NBA Finals result that I can remember since I was born. So I will say that it is much more likely that the Florida Panthers sweep the Vegas Golden Knights than the Miami Heat do so.
1: Felt like a BKO, so uh, kind of leaning Throwing towards my Miami towards now. The Uh, But no, I I tend to agree with BK. I I think it'd be Florida would be the one that I could see potentially getting a sweep. I think the only way Miami can sweep Denver is if Jokic ends up like hurting himself in game one and ends up missing the rest of the finals. That's the only chance I think Miami has in sweeping them.
3: Yeah, I I would lean towards the Panthers. I, I just I think the Panthers have everything they need to just continue their dominance in the NHL. And. I mean, they beat some of the best goaltenders in the NHL to get to this point, and now they're going up against Aiden Hill. So I, I would lean towards the Florida Panthers.
0: Three one four three nine 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 six four six from the four four three guys. If the Cardinals were to trade Tyler O'Neill for a starting pitcher, straight up, what level of return do you think they would get in return for him? Um. I- this is one of those things that I just honestly have a really hard time knowing what the value is of Tyler O'Neill across Major League Baseball. We asked this earlier today. I think the same thing is true for like Dylan Carlson. If the Cardinals made Carlson available. I have no idea what they would get in return. I-, I would think with O'Neal, because of all of the injury questions and the lack of control long term, I think he'd be talking about like a Lance Lynn somebody that is a veteran starting pitcher that can come in and hopefully stabilize your rotation. And I don't think somebody like a Lance Lynn has a lot of value to the Cardinals cause they don't need a back end starter. They need a front end starter, but I think that's probably what you'd be looking for.
1: I, I tend to agree. I, I think it's a back end starter or a kind of shot in the dark bullpen arm or a kind of just low gamble prospect. Kind of like what you got in the Matt Adams deal and they end up getting one. Yep. Has out of him like that. That's kind of what O'Neill's value looks like. I, I don't know how to read Carlson's value, but but O'Neal's I think is super low because of, one, one, he's only put one good season together, but I think he can live off that enough to be in the big leagues for a while because everybody will see the potentials there. But two, the spat with the team publicly, it's become very evident that the team and O'Neal can't get on the same page about what's wrong with his back. And three, he, he's just been injured way too often to feel comfortable sending anything of value in return to go get him in a trade.
3: I think it's a bullpen piece. I I think you look at kind of what you did with Luke Voigt in terms of getting Chase and Shreve and Giovanni Gallegos. Maybe you're not going to get two of them, but you'll probably get a in-between bullpen arm that you're just not sure about that you're hoping turns into something like a Gallegos for O'Neal. You know what might be interesting? Um, Like Liam Hendricks, I have no idea what the rest of the
0: season is going to hold for him. He just came back from the cancer uh, diagnosis that he had. I I don't know what the rest of the year is going to look like, but if he starts pitching well again, maybe you could get somebody like that. I think this is the final year of his contract. I, if I'm not well, mistaken, he's got an
1: option that gets automatically picked up if he's traded. So that's where oh, I just okay. don't think he. Sure. That, that's why I think if you're getting like a high leverage arm, maybe you're getting a guy that's a free agent to be could, Th- like somebody like, like that, like uh, Chapman, Hendricks, for type. example. Sure. Like with Kansas City, one year deal, maybe you can get him, and Kansas City would say, you know what, we'll take a month and a half of O'Neal, and we'll we'll see if we. can What's the year Garrett there. got in
3: contract? He's been bad. Oh, has he? You i going to say. I don't I, know. I always liked him.
1: But I, I, I just don't think there's a whole lot there for O'Neal. I mean, if if we can read the tea leaves of what's wrong between Carlson, or excuse me, O'Neal and the Cardinals front office, everybody in Major League Baseball can definitely read the tea leaves as well.
0: Uh, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. This one comes from the 636. Hey, guys, I saw that there's potentially going to be a new documentary that is being made on Barry Bonds. Do you have interest in watching such a documentary? And if you could have one tell all from a former athlete, who would you want to see this on? So the HBO is going to be doing this They're producing a new Barry Bonds documentary And it's made by the same guy that produced OJ Made in America So this isn't just some like random We're going to do a 60 minute infomercial for a guy Yeah but is he going to be straight up about everything
3: I don't know Because if he's not then I don't care Uh, Agreed I don't want to hear Barry Bonds say
0: well I didn't do steroids But the guy that worked on the OJ Made in America Ezra Edelman is an unbelievable documentary guy He's not signing up for this project Unless he knows there's going to be something That is available to him, whether it's from Bond specifically or those around Barry Bonds, you're going to get a bombshell at some point in this documentary. If it ends up coming through, that would be one that I would be super interested in watching. If you actually get the truth. And that's where this becomes really difficult Is so many of these just Like for example the Derek Jeter one Like I have no time to yeah, watch was a waste of time Seven part documentary Series that is an infomercial on how Great of a guy Derek Jeter is I do Not care it does not appeal to me there's An audience for it it's just not me If you get honesty in some of These things now that makes things a lot more interesting And Barry Bonds would be right up at or near the top Of the list in terms of a documentary that I would want to see
3: Yeah I'm trying to think of tell all like
1: has Clemens ever come out and said if he did it or not? I he don't f- think
3: Clemens is interesting enough. I don't either.
0: I That's think he's fair, kind of boring. But
1: I, but I would be curious to know if he would be one of those guys. Um, and I,
3: like, we know that he did. If we're going yeah. tell-all here, like, Ray Lewis would be interesting to me. Sure. Honestly, Bill Belichick would be fascinating if, like, you're actually going to get a tell-all. Um, what do you
1: know about the cheating? Honestly, there's, there's a, a lot there. There's a lot.
3: Hernandez... Yeah, oh,
0: yeah,
1: I mean
3: the, the, the flat Brady gate, stuff. Yeah. Uh, so like that would be really interesting to me. Um
1: Belichick's a really good one. Those
3: would be two that would come out come out.
1: That's the thing the is you head. need
0: different through lines because like OJ Made in America was as much about like the other stuff as it was about the the murder. Yeah, it was about how he got to that. Um, point. the Michael Jordan one was like seven different themes throughout the course of the series. Like you you need a lot to be able to make a docuseries like this really compelling. Um, I think like Alan Iverson could make for a really good one. If you got like the honest to God truth from start to finish there, uh, Michael Vick could make for a good one. There's a few of them that I, I think you could get if everybody around it was actually going to be honest. And think, that's where things get really I'm trying
3: difficult. to think somebody in, in hockey in terms of not so much with, with controversy surrounding them, but somebody who has just been a journeyman and have played with a bunch of teams and players through a bunch of different centuries that have seen a lot of different things that would be like the type of thing you'd really want to hear. There will be one eventually on the Houston Astros. Yeah, yeah that's true. Be somebody
0: one. out of that. Like, who, who do you it, think it, it
3: would be? Is it a position Luno. player?
0: You think it's Luno? I mean, he's he's blackballed from baseball right now. He's got no future in the sport. At some point, he's going to sell a story to somebody. L-
1: you know? I, and I think Hinch will do it too If whenever he yeah. gets out of baseball. I mean, he was pretty open and honest when we had him on know, gosh, three Two years probably, ago I think. Yeah. or whatever it was. Uh, and we asked him straight up about it. Um, so I, I think that there's an interesting story with that team, and and I think Loonhow is the guy that would be kind of open about it. I I would be curious to know who would be a player that would talk about that. though. Oh, this because is, the players were given
3: that's where it gets hard.
1: Given a yeah, what, immunity, what, what, immunity. Thank you. This is a good one.
3: T- Tiger Woods.
1: They kind of did it though, didn't they? Well, kinda, I guess they didn't do but a tell I mean, tell-all. I'm thinking tell all. It's yeah. it's everything that's and true.
3: how it impacted your career because that's that's the part that you really want to know. Is it the back? Is it? everything that happened outside sure. of it. That's that's a really that's good a one. That's a really
0: good one, text line. Yeah, that's that's probably the one that you would want to see. Mike Tyson. It could be some, yeah. some compelling stuff with him as Mike well. Mike Tyson,
3: I feel like, though, is already an open book. For sure. Like, it feels like he's already doing a tell-all in everything that he does. You know what would actually be really interesting
0: is an Andre Agassi documentary. Yeah. Because of everything that he went through and, like, from start to finish, I, I think tennis has some really interesting stories to tell that don't get enough public. Um, so that that could be another uh, one is another one
3: could Todd be. Bertuzzi yeah
0: Bertuzzi, that would be uh, one.
3: with a what's his face that he punched in the side of the head and basically lost it and then came back Yeah.
0: So. uh the 2008 Florida Gators that was basically a piece of the Aaron Hernandez documentary so if you want to yeah. see that documentary you, you yeah. can it's it's the Aaron Hernandez one uh, coming up next The Cardinals have to hope for one of two scenarios, both of which almost feel kind of unlikely. But that's really the only way I think they have a chance to be able to get the ace that they are lacking. We'll talk about that in the thread that they are trying to needle next. You're on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Just understand that if you go after a certain level of pitcher, they're not just gonna ask for Nolan Gorman, they're gonna ask for Nolan Gorman and Mason Wynn. Like it's gonna it's gonna be painful the price. There's a reason why there's only so many teams who have aces. There's not that many to go around and you know, if you want one, you're gonna have to pay a steep, steep price. Alongside Alex Ferrario
0: and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. That was John Denton yesterday on with us talking about the starting pitching market, which, guys, is not particularly robust. Here is what Ken Rosenthal had to say earlier today in his article on The Athletic. Much can change in the next two months. Teams with healthy starters almost certainly will be looking opportunistic. Those teams, however, are few and far between. The number of starters available seems to diminish by the day end quote again that came from ken rosenthal and his latest piece from the athletic the title of it being mlb starting pitching trade market is short on supply and high on demand oh that's always good for the cardinals that means they're ready to spend guys this is one of the biggest issues facing the cardinals right now it is not just what they are lacking it is also the unfortunate nature of who has those arms available to them and where they currently stand in their standings. I think there's two scenarios that could potentially play out that end up helping the Cardinals in this regard. One is that one of the teams in the AL Central just pulls away in a significant way. I think that's highly unlikely. I don't think any of those teams are good enough to make that kind of a run. But if there is one, it's probably the Minnesota Twins. And in that scenario one of the Tigers or the Guardians, maybe even the White Sox, end up selling off bigger pieces than what we're currently anticipating. The other scenario is probably the Boston Red Sox fall completely out of it in the AL East, so much so that they are not even close to the wild card, and then they consider selling on Chris Sale. I think those are the two scenarios that would – present themselves that open up a door for the Cardinals to say, you know what? This is our opportunity to land that front end starter that we've been looking for. Barring one of those two things happening though, guys, as much as we've talked about all of these different things that could happen, Typically, what ends up happening is much less exciting than what could happen. And what you'll see is there will be like two real starters that end up getting dealt and they'll go to the legitimate contenders. They'll go to teams like Tampa Bay or Texas or Atlanta or the Dodgers that are willing to spend significant capital because they think this is their
3: year. Meanwhile, the Cardinals will end up with Rich Hill. Yes. If they end up with Rich Hill, I am you remember how I said yesterday that like people misunderstand me. I'm not turning off the games. I'm still paying attention. Yeah. If they trade for Rich Hill, I'm turning off the games. Are you
1: kidding me? I'd be so excited I can't hide it. That's, oh, really? Yeah. You
3: want that 45-year-old pitching for you? Yeah. I'm not a good
1: lefty. I, I
3: I think the Chris Sale is more realistic for this Cardinals team than the White Sox. Because as much as we've talked about the White Sox, I mean, do we really believe that they'll trade Dylan Cease? I I feel like that's. It seems like all of the national
0: analysts are throwing a lot of cold water on that possibility. Ken Rosenthal basically said um, in his piece. Dylan Cease no Jeff Passan basically skate. said Dylan Cease no like no hesitation that's, between them whatsoever and that's
3: where it comes to Lucas Giolito who is a really good pitcher but you've got injury concerns with that and can he be that ace for you it's the no, kind of Shane he's Beaver number conversation two or three. he's and so, worse than Beaver and so that's why you're talking Lance Lynn or something like that so I go to Chris Sale because Chris Sale makes the most sense in terms of Cardinals making a trade now there are some stipulations are the Boston Red Sox out of it enough and does Chris Sale want? to be traded elsewhere because those two things have to happen first but let's say all of that falls into place you're talking about a veteran who's been there before lefty strikeout stuff has what one more year under contract and you're not having to give up the amount of capital that you would to go out there and get a younger controllable ace that seems all st louis cardinals at trade deadline for you so chris sales one that makes the most sense and frankly I would be pretty excited about that. I'd still have the tight butt cheeks wondering, is he going to get injured in a couple of weeks? And now we're stuck. But if you don't, I mean, you saw it when the Cardinals played Boston. The dude still's got a lot of strikeout stuff that would play well with this rotation if you're putting him in front of Miles Michaelis.
1: Yeah, I I think the best route is is that the Minnesota Twins end up taking off with that division and you go towards and look at like a Shane Bieber or if you're out of it and just are looking for kind of a guy to help kind of piece you through it this year because again, I... This this acquiring an ace this this deadline is looking bleaker and bleaker and it may have to be something that's solved in the offseason. Maybe you go and get just a rental and G and hope that you can kind of see some swing and miss and maybe he takes on the role that you're expecting from like Jack Flaherty this year. Not so much as the ace, but the guy that's got swing and miss in the rotation, but pitching consistently. So I, I think it's the AL Central. I, I honestly don't have that much interest in Sale. I d I, I don't think Sale fits here. In St. Louis, Why? I don't, I don't like the contract. I don't, I, I don't trust the arm, and I, I just don't feel like he's a Cardinals move because he's such a kind of hot head, and that's why I don't think he makes sense Oh, is for the Wilson Cardinals. Contreras cool, calm, and collected to you? Uh, he was after being benched to a DH role. Yeah, so. He also was when he tried to fight Madison Bumgarner. I, uh, I I I just don't think Sale's the guy for the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I also think, and this is where it's tough, is I, I just don't know how well the Cardinals match up. I think there's kind of a third scenario that I think people that, like when we had, uh, who was it, Paul Hoynes on, kind of tried to put water on it and cool the flame of it, but I think it's something that could kind of spark up as we get closer to the deadline if the Guardians are still hanging around in it, and they're getting uh, uh what's his name, Tristan McKenzie back, one of their top arms, I I could see where they still consider moving Bieber at the deadline and look to add offense because they've got enough pitching depth. And if that's the case, I wonder if the Cardinals can match up with them there. But I I, I just don't know because. The guys that make sense would be like guys like Tyler O'Neill because he's got power. But how much value does he really carry? Same with Dylan Carlson. Are they interested in guys that are positionless and Juan Yepes and kind of Alec Burleson? That that's the one that I think makes the most sense, but I don't know if it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, this is where it gets really hard, is like, okay, cool. So you got Shane Bieber, now who are you giving up? Like I brought up Tommy Edman as a potential trade chip that you could throw into these discussions for teams that are trying to contend. And then you make the move that's similar to what they did last year with Montgomery. where it's like, hey, you need this. We need that. Maybe we can have a swap here of position player for pitcher. I don't think you have position players that rise to the level of acquiring a Shane Bieber. Maybe the Guardians. I I could see this maybe. Say, you know what? We really like Dylan Carlson. We think that there's more value here than what a lot of other people are suggesting. And we think he can be a centerpiece in a trade for Shane Bieber. We're, we're willing to do that because of the control that Dylan Carlson has. Okay, maybe. Maybe that ends up being something that you could do. But otherwise, it, it's just hard to find the deal. That happens in season. off season. I think it... I think Shane Bieber is a perfect offseason acquisition for the Cardinals because it doesn't require them to go to the market. They can re-sign him before he hits the market before they have to bid against other teams like he makes all the sense in the world this offseason. But we're talking in season deals. It's hard for me to find the fit there. It's hard for me to find the fit for most of these guys. And that goes back to Alex's idea of Chris Sale. I just disagree with you vehemently vehemently on the Chris Sale thing
1: get him a t-shirt that says vehemently
3: i i think chris sales a really good pitcher and i think the cardinals are in the business of acquiring really good pitchers. someone just texted in from the 314 sale would have been great five years ago now not so much you can't chase big names with significant miles on their arms and injury concerns. agree you can that's the cardinals move also agree like i agree with that
0: texter totally now give me a better name yeah. and, and this is where it gets really difficult is okay sure I don't think that uh, Chris Sale is the ideal option. I would love for them to go out and get Shane McClanahan. He's not available. Is he, though? No. Shohei Otani. You're not matching that price. You would have to give up Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman and Mason Wynn and Tinkins and more. Prospects. If you you guys want to do that, like, okay, cool. We can have that conversation. Nobody wants to. Nobody. For any of these guys that we're talking about. And so even when you do get into the interesting names, there are drawbacks to them. Dylan Cease is not having a very good year this year and has real injury questions. Do you want to go that route? Maybe. But now we're talking about giving up Mason Wynn again, probably. Are you willing to do that for a guy that has as many questions as Dylan Cease does? I think the majority of the audience would probably say no. Shane Bieber. I really like him. Are you willing to give up Mason win or Jordan Walker in that conversation? I think most people would probably say no, because he's probably more of a two than a one at this point in his career. So now you get into the okay. then what can we get that doesn't cost a ton money wise or prospect wise that does have some questions? But if he hits the upside, we've got a legit number one starter in that lane. That's Chris Sale.
3: And you want swing and miss stuff, T-Bone. I mean, he's going to be the best swing and miss stuff that's available T-bone, your stuff, via your trade. Your questions about him are more off-field than
0: on-field, I'm guessing, right? I,
1: I think I, not so much. On, I think on-field is just injury concern. But again, right. that's with that is get that anywhere. every every arm. But I'm more concerned about him because you're talking about a guy that had pitched very few innings over the last, what has it been, two, three years he's been dealing with injuries. I mean, he missed all of 2020, 2021, 42 and two-thirds, 2022, five and two-thirds, like this is the most endings he's thrown at fifty-five and a third in the last three years. So there, there's serious concern the with his arm. Injury questions are very real and, with Chris Sale, and that that's where I am. Is it, it's the concern with the arm, and then also just depending on how much Boston's willing to eat in the contract? Because I again, what you bring in, Chris Sale, I would say nothing then I'm definitely out. If, if they're not Why? eating money it's in not that contract, a contract, because that's going to limit you in what you're doing in other off-seasons. And again, oh, you're yeah, dealing with first the are going to spend God knows well, now, what hey, in the off-season. We season. can't have that oh, okay. reaction, but when we oh, mention it in other, other segments when we're talking about it, we always talk about the drawbacks of adding money to any sort of deals. Oh, so, I don't, because you're don't. never going to add money we to do. deals. With who? I can't remember the name, but we've definitely talked about where it's like, well, if you sign this guy to this or you give out this kind of money, you got to remember the implications it yeah, has for in years term. to come. This is I, a one-year deal. I know, but I think you can spend that money that's being put into sales Who are year you next getting year? this
0: off-season and $27 million that will give you the upside of Chris Sale?
1: I think you, Aaron Nola could be that guy. I don't for think a seven-year deal, they're yeah, not doing I, that. I think, uh, again, yeah, but that's and, where the model is being tested.
0: That. Aaron Nola is a guy that right now is not pitching well, guys. Like We, we also have to look at the results of what's happening currently. Aaron Nola is having a down year. Shane Bieber is having a bit, at least when it comes to the swing and miss stuff and the underlying numbers, of a down year. The guy that's actually performing based on any of the underlying metrics strangely is Chris Sale. Like, and so I just I have a hard time. And all of this might be moot because he might not be available. Or the, he
3: says, I'm not going to St. Louis. Sure.
0: Both of which are very realistic scenarios here. But the reason I bring up the name is because million for a pitcher of his caliber is not a lot of money, and it's a one-year deal, which is what the Cardinals prefer. Their problem is the term. Their problem is if you get Aaron Nola, you're giving him eight years. Their problem is if you try to go go get Shoei Otani, it's a 10-year contract that you're laying out. I disagree with their philosophy on those deals. Don't necessarily disagree with them on the pitching side of things, but that's a different conversation for a different day. But when you've got a one-year, twenty-seven million-dollar contract that's making up uh, what what he's making next year, that's basically Wayno and Montgomery this year. Like repurpose their money. And you get it with Chris Sale.
3: And I don't expect them to go into any market this offseason and spend significant money. They just did it with Wilson Contreras. Now they got to take a couple steps back and reset the books for the next three years before they're willing to throw out more money next offseason. And I think they should. I think they
0: need to with these starters or they need to trade for one. Like They they need to do at least one, maybe both of those things. I also think it's possible they would trade for Chris Sale and then trade in the offseason for a Shane Bieber. Like that, that is, I think what the ideal scenario would be for the Cardinals. But again, I, we say all of that to say this, man, finding an ideal match is hard yeah, gonna for stink. this team because they're not the only ones that are looking for starters. Everybody right now is looking for starting pitching that can go ahead and help them because there's just not a lot of it that is likely to become available. The prerequisite for any of these conversations that we're having is somebody running away in the AL central. And somebody falling way behind in the AL East. The odds of either of those two things happening feel pl- pretty marginal right now. And then if it's not one of those two things, now you're looking at the National League. Who's trading with you? And who's the team that has the pitching that you're looking for? It's not going to be the Brewers. They're not going to trade in in the division for a Corbin Burns. The Mets aren't trading. They think they're going to be in it. They're in the same position as you. Same thing for the Phillies. I don't think they're going to be selling. We talked to Buster last year. and He said, hey. They're not a team that's going to be willing to give up on a season even if they're behind. And last year it worked out for them because they ended up going to the World Series. I just I don't really see the clear match other than really two or three teams. It's Chicago in, with the White Sox, it's Cleveland, and it's Boston. It's one of those three teams that is likely the match for the Cardinals as we get closer to the MLB trade deadline. Coming up next, we're going to play a game of Slump or Stink.
2: We'll explain it here on 101 ESPN. Chris Sale Stink. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Count
0: that that big pen. Oh, this is my favorite game. One that we've never played yet, but it's gonna be great. Sound it's a favorite game. 314 399 is the year cup for service, X-Line. If you guys would like to play along, it is cleverly named Slumps or Stinks. I'm going to be totally up front with you guys. It was originally called Slump or Suck.
3: These guys vetoed that. Yeah, BK it was too very tough, angry. Just a today. little too aggressive. Yeah. And I think rather than saying somebody sucks... And every time I Let's have just say somebody
0: somebody
1: sucks on air, BK always goes, whoa,
3: yeah, We no. gotta criticize
0: the performance, not the player. If we want to play what the we're doing BK here.
3: and Ferrario version. We can do slumps or sucks. That's fair. Is whatever you, text you in. So you think you can, think you can name sucks? it whatever you want to in your own mind. But
0: for us, we're going with slump or stink today. I'm going to throw out a player. I'm going to tell you whether what he's done lately. And you guys tell me if this player is
3: in a slump or if, uh, oh. This guy just stinks. And let's put a disclaimer on it. This is about your athletic performance, not about you as an individual. Yeah,
0: the, the the individual might be kind. They might be great. So, they might be enjoyable to be around. But right now, their performance. All of these guys are great guys.
3: Is lacking. According to John Moselock.
0: He's just here. a good
3: guy. yeah.
0: And that is why Chris Sale will not be a part of the Cardinals. Thank because he's not a
3: good guy. He has scissors. Paul DeYoung. Start out with him.
0: In his last 18 games, boys, he is batting 143. And in that stretch, he has hit five home runs,
3: but he only has four other hits. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) So he's got nine hits and five have been home runs? Correct. What were the four? Are they all singles? Uh, one was a double.
1: All right. So he has all one right, double. What's five homers. Three and
3: one. His uh,
0: slugging percentage is 397, which is Ooh. not what you want. His on base percentage in this last 18 oh, this games is 230. I <laughs> well, love what you're looking I'd for. I love the person
3: that argued that the 19 games for Jordan Walker was too small of a sample size to judge it. Are you saying the same thing about Paul DeYoung right now, sir? Alex, slump or stink?
0: Man, I hate that we have to do I this. Do. Paul, Paul, we love Dion.
3: you as a person, but I'm going to have to say stinks, buddy. This is what this is. We, this was the shoe I was waiting to drop. Yeah. This is like last season. We had a two week, three week sample size where it's like, oh, he fixed his swing.
2: He's back.
3: And then it dropped. And unfortunately, welcome back, because that's where we're at right now. The swing just looks off. The strike zone recognition is seems to be less locked in than what it was three weeks ago, so I'm going to say I think we're at the stinks category now.
1: I, I think we're at stink, too, and this was the moment I've been waiting for to see what would happen with Paul Deion. Well, you're cruel. No, you're not, cruel. So, not so much waiting for Would you, make, right, a, yeah, would you make a again. song about it? It's no. the moment we've been waiting for. No, I, what, I, what I mean by that, though, is this was always my hesitation when he was playing well coming back from the injury was, okay, we saw this last year, and then when he did go cold, he was never able to figure it out. We'll see if that's the case. He looks off balance to me, and, and because he's got a toe tap now, I wonder if he's going to be able to get back on balance working with the hitting coach and get things fixed. But based on track record... This is the breaking point for Paul DeYoung, and that's why I'm leaning towards Stink because I've seen this happen before. Tanner
3: was toe tapping when he found out Paul DeYoung's back in a slump. I saw him do a little Irish jig. I don't appreciate. I saw your chasse in the,
1: office, I I, I, sh- essay in the uh, hallway. I don't appreciate how I've been attacked by you the last couple of days. Little Yesterday, you ran vine? me over the bus by saying I wanted Walker to be down when I never did. Easy, egghead. I mean, you want him down now, even yeah, today, because he's learning <laughs> down there. But originally, I did not want him down there.
0: Uh. It is very unfortunate, but it stink.
1: It stink. That's the right way
0: to go about this. He has really struggled at the plate, and it, he kind of looks lost, honestly. I don't really know what they can do here. I think the correct answer is very simple. You you just have to stop putting him in the lineup every day. Maybe he was just tired, but it, it started. 19
3: games straight.
0: Yeah, it started before this 19-game stretch. So Well, uh, the goodness is you got a stink. shortstop
3: who can play. That position for you that on is the roster. Very good
0: one. Very good one. All right. Next one up Wilson Contreras, slump or stink? In the month of May, there are 120, 120 players in Major League Baseball that have at least 100 at bats. 120 players, 100 at bats in the month of May. Wilson Contreras is 119th among them in batting average. By the way, 120th is Kyle Schwarber, who is batting 115 in the month of May. Not what you want. Guys, is this a slump? Extended one, nonetheless. Or does Wilson Contreras stink at the plate?
3: I say it's a slump. I I still believe that there's a lot going on behind the scenes of Wilson Contreras. Now he's prepping
1: too much. Yeah, Yeah, he's probably
3: prepping too much. He's not working on his batting cages because he's focusing more on the catching. Because it's behind his back, he's got to worry about somebody taking his job again and being a DH slash outfielder. I think this is a slump. I think... This is a player trying to get acclimated to a role that now you've got all of these internal nerves wondering if you're going to be taken out of it or not. So I think this is the slump you're going to see Wilson Conturvis get back to the offensive form you expected.
1: Yeah, I I think this is a slump as well. I I think he's got too much talent up at the plate to have this be who he's going to be in the season where he's hitting has a worse OPS than Andrew Kisner I, I don't think that's going to happen I think he's going to get this turned around I, I think he's one of those hitters that and we have this conversation with Nolan Arnato early in the year where when he's cold he is really cold but when he gets hot he can be hot and he can be hot for a really long time so I, I think this is just a slump I think he's going to have a big if I had to bet on one Cardinal I think he has the biggest month of June and that's in Wilson Church. now granted I said that <laughs> the first one, and it didn't happen, but I'll go ahead and say it again here in June. Well, if
3: they need you to just take him off the catching
1: yeah, roll and put was? him as a DH. I felt better when he was a DH. Uh,
0: you going to say he stinks, man? I was going through a few of the numbers. Oh, boy. It's basically been three seasons already for Wilson Contreras this year. His first 14 games of the year, he hit 195 and did not have a home run. The next 23 games... He was batting 299, three home runs with, an, uh, with a slugging percentage over 500. And then in his last 16 games, he's batting 119 with a slugging percentage of 250. It's been three years within this first, whatever, 55 games for him. I think you're right, T-Bone. I think he's a streaky hitter. There's nothing wrong with that. It uh, The thing that makes us critical of Arenado in Contreras is really how excellent Paul Goldschmidt is at all times. Goldie, other than basically September and then early October last year, is always good. Always. He's just like the metronome of the team where every month you look back and it's like, oh, 295 hitter, finished with five home runs and was getting on base in basically every game. Like, that's just who Paul Goldschmidt is. He's just the clock in, clock out. He's going to finish with the 300 batting average and he's going to do everything that you look for from a baseball player. These other guys, they'll go up and down and up and down. The highs are really high, the lows are. Maybe they're not an extended period of time, but they can be really low for them over a 10 game stretch. That's who Wilson Contreras is. There's nothing wrong with it, but I think he's just going through a slump right now. And you're going to see more of these, not less of them as we go through the course of the season. All right,
3: guys, we got to go to the pitching side of things. Oh, well, the stink. next question. Yeah, stinks. All of it. Yeah. Unless it's the bullpen, then we can talk. Uh, it is the bullpen. Well, oh, okay.
1: Well, we could talk. Some of them stink too.
3: Oh, wait, if you're going to say who, I think you're going to say stinks. Does his name rhyme with Schmoo Schmermagen? <laughs> I don't know how you I got don't think there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it rhymes Guys, Drew Verhagen. Yeah, it stinks. <sighs> remember some thought, remember man. how good he was to start th- out the I season. I think the hips
0: are getting a little worn down <laughs> because we're moving. So in the month of May, Drew Verhagen appeared 12 different times. He threw 14 and a third innings, gave up seven earned runs, had 13 strikeouts in those 14 innings and eight walks. He had an ERA of 4.5, and opposing hitters had an 820 OPS against him. Mm.
3: Guys, is this a slump, or does Drew Verhagen stink now? I I think this is the stink side of it. I think what we saw at the beginning of the season was the slump side of it for Drew Verhagen, but in a good way. I don't know what a good slump slump would be. I don't know what a good slump would be. Text us what what, uh, a thesaurus would say a good slump is. I need a different word for it. Slump buster. Slump buster. He had a slump buster month. I don't think that's what that is, but maybe. That was Drew Verhagen. I'll tell you what I've seen from Drew Verhagen. A lot of home runs. A a lot of that. But a lot of what Jack Flaherty was going through at the beginning of the year where frustration sets in. Like that first at-bat that he goes up against, if he misses the strike zone or if the player gets a hit or if he walks him, Verhagen looks like he's pissed off. And by that time, then pitches are going all over the place. You're not locating your spots, and they're going out of the ballpark. So I, I, I just maybe it is a slump and maybe he can get out of this. If this is more of a mental side of it, but man, those pitches just are not going where he needs them to. So I think this is just back to drew Verhagen.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm with Alex. I, I think it's stink. I mean, he just has not looked like the same guy early on. And I, I think part of that is I, I me personally, I just haven't felt like his breaking stuff has been as effective as it was early on. Because I remember early on, it was like, whoa, look at that curveball. And I was like, whoa, watch that curveball get out of here. So I'm kind of on the point where we saw what was wrong with Verhagen last year. And look, the hip injury, I think that was a real thing but I'm kind of wondering of if the first month was more of a mirage than anything. So I'm going to say stink.
0: I like what you said in the comparison, Alex, to Jack Flaherty, because I think there is one thing in particular that is very true for both of them. If they don't have pinpoint command of what they're trying to do, their stuff is not able to overcome that problem. Their stuff is fine, but it's not Chris Sale, for example. Their stuff is not good enough to overcome their lack of command. Andrew Verhagen this month has eight walks in 14 innings. Drew Verhagen in his first month, I think it was just one walk, if I'm not mistaken, over the course of the first month or so. He just, he was a guy that was coming in, striking dudes out, and was not allowing other men on base. And he was getting hit way less hard, way less frequently than he is in the in the month of May. I'm with you guys. I think this is a, this is a stink, and it's too bad. I was hopeful based on what we saw in the first month of the season, but Drew Verhagen is not going through more than just a, a little itty bitty slump. This is this is something that's probably going to sustain for the month of June. Can we get to one more real quick, please? We'll go through this one really fast. Please be a good one so I can say something. Not even in a slump. give me the numbers on this because I don't think the numbers are as bad as what the the feeling is when you're watching it right now. Ryan Helsley Slump or stink In the month of May He had a a 2.7 ERA So like The the ERA is there He's not blowing up Very often It's just In individual games There are moments Where it feels Bad In the command Specifically In his last Six appearances
3: He's allowed Six walks Alex slump or stink for Ryan Helsley, man. I I really don't know which way to go with this one because like baseball savant looks great. All in red looks like he's fine, but it seems at some points people can read his fastball and can catch it. And then he's just out of commission. So I'm going to say slump because I'm optimistic. Like you, you aren't one of the best relievers in the game and then just completely lose it. So I'm going to say slump with him, but it's, it's towing the line of Stink because I'm really worried that last year was just the flash in the pan for him.
1: Yeah, I. he's a tough case to try and figure out. I actually am going to lean towards Stink. I, I think bullpen arms are volatile. I, I think bullpen arms are uh, highly volatile to where they can be good, bad, good, bad. It's tough to find a consistent bullpen arm like Geo, for example, who's or been Andrew really shaping. good. Yeah, yeah. God, love that guy. And the mustache. Remember when he but was available for basically nothing? The biggest concern for me with Helsley is his walks per nine is creep back up. And if it does creep back up, sure, the strikeouts are a little bit lower. It's nice to see them still sitting at 11.3 strikeouts per nine. But if he's walking, guys, it becomes a serious issue for the Cardinals. And for whatever reason, I don't feel like, and again, this is a feel, it doesn't feel like he is... As dominant as last year. And if he's not as dominant and he's walking more guys, it's a concern. So, I think the
0: walks are why he doesn't feel that way. I think probably, last year he was throwing strikes.
1: So I, I'm going to lean towards Stink. And that's not saying he's like going to be like, I would take this version of Ryan Helsley. Do I trust him? Like, hey, we're going to throw him out there to save the game in the ninth inning in you know a game three of a wild card round. Not right now, but I still trust him as a high leverage arm. But I don't think he's going to be as dominant as last year. That's why I say stay. From the
3: six three six, that's an egghead take <laughs> if I've ever heard
1: one. I, I actually I think this you, is a
0: slight 36. slump. <laughs> I think this is a slump. I, if he's able to get his command back on track, his stuff is as good as it's been. I think that what you're saying, though, about relievers is absolutely true, T-Bone. And it's why I, when they, I think it was Toronto that brought up the idea of including Ryan Helsley in a trade for, for like one of Jansen their catchers. Or I, I thought it was a really interesting idea. And I would have considered it just because this is what you should expect from relievers. You don't expect them to be Giovanni Gallegos, where every year they're the same guy. That's not how it typically works. You typically go like last year where he was unbelievable to this year where it's pretty good. And next year, maybe he has another great season. And then the next year, he very well maybe just flat out bad. And then he is average for like three years and then suddenly reemerges throwing 104 again for the Detroit Tigers. And he gets traded at the deadline. Like That is the cycle for a reliever typically. So it shouldn't be shocking to any of us that he's going through a slump right now. And I think when he gets his command back, he'll be fine. But it is different than last year, where last year for the entire season, he allowed nine earned runs. And this year, through the first two months of the season, he's allowed that exact same number of runs. And the
1: reason I'm more concerned about the walks is because walks had been an issue prior to last year. It's not like this is the first time that we're seeing a lot of walks per nine innings. No, this is kind of more of the quote-unquote norm if you're looking at his baseball card without seeing him play, you'd go, oh, it's a guy that walks a lot of guys and had one good year in 2022 where he didn't walk anybody. So, I I, I kind of viewed it as stink, and that's why if the card, and look, I don't think they're selling at the deadline, Mo even shot that down, but sure. if they became a team that really fell out of it, had a really bad June, and say, you know what, we probably got to sell some pieces at the deadline, every bullpen arm should be someone that they consider moving
0: coming up next can jake neighbors be for the blues what nolan gorman has been for the cardinals i think that's ridiculous but alex will make the case next here on 101
2: espn we're right back to the PK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
0: Norman last year for the Cardinals was 4% above league average offensively. That is according to his OPS plus he finished the year hitting 225 and he finished with 14 home runs. Alex, that's a pretty good year by a young player in the Cardinals organization. Debatable, not great, but a pretty good year. All things considered 14 home runs in 89 games. That's a lot of power. He showed what the Cardinals were hoping for. And that's the type of player that they thought he could be long-term for them. I bring that up because the Blues have a young player in their organization that they're hoping can be eventually 15 to 20 goal score perennially and brings a little bit of that heaviness to the game that they've been looking for. That player is Jake Neighbors. He is 21 years old this past season in his first full season, I guess you could say in the NHL, finished with 45 games, six goals, 10 points, about 12 and a half minutes per night, had 65 hits, by the way, in those 43 games. Alex, do you think there is a scenario where Jake Neighbors in year two, the first full season for him, for the Blues, can be something similar to what Nolan Gorman has been so far this year for the Cardinals?
3: Yes and no. Um, Interesting. Welcome to sitting on the fence. Let's start with the (laughs) yes side of it. I, I think he can become... In the sense of what Nolan Gorman has become this year of somebody that the Cardinals rely upon every single night. Everyday player, you're relying on his offense, has provided some good defense. That's what Jake Neighbors can be. Frankly, it's what Jake Neighbors needs to be for the Blues this upcoming season, is they're relying upon you to be an impactful piece of this team because this past season you were a complimentary piece. You started off as a fourth liner, you got opportunities when injuries took place, you went down to the minors because you weren't playing well. Frankly, the team wasn't playing well, and you came back. So I believe Believe you can be impactful in terms of he's going to be a top nine winger for you he's going to be playing on the power play probably going to get some penalty kill time you're going to start to get a little bit more of a leadership role even crazy saying that you're 21 years old and you're going to have somewhat of a leadership role but it's a younger locker room now the no side of things i don't if anybody's expecting the offense production to be like what nolan gorman has been to where you were a fringe player to a all-star think again because that's not how hockey works and frankly that's not going to be his role now if somebody gets injured and he's playing in your top six yeah i could probably see him go on a 15 goal run in the season but i am not going to fall into the logan brown trap that i fell into last year and sit here and say that he's a 20 goal scorer at best maybe jake neighbors can be that on a consistent basis but if i'm talking offense for jake neighbors i'm thinking somewhere between 10 to 15 goals this upcoming season but the reason I would lean more towards the yes side of it is because I think he's going to be more of a complimentary piece or an asset to this team than people are giving him credit Can for. Can I give you a different comparison? I think there
0: is a Cardinals comparison, but you have to go back a couple of years for it. And then pretend like like the future didn't happen. No, it's not Tyler O'Neill. I I think the difference between Nolan Gorman and Jake Neighbors is that Nolan Gorman has a special skill. And I'm not sure Jake Neighbors necessarily does. I think Jake Neighbors is just a really solid all-around player. Oh,
1: it's Carlson, isn't it?
0: Dylan Carlson. Oh. yeah. I think that's the comparison for Jake Neighbors. Now, obviously, the last two years have not gone as we all had hoped for Dylan Carlson. I do think there's still some hope there. Like, I think that there's a chance that Dylan Carlson still becomes a really solid all-around outfielder for the Cardinals. I don't know when. don't know how long it's going to take. I don't think he's ever going to reach the peak that many had hoped that he would have here in St. Louis. But I think he can at some point recapture the form that he had in 2021 when he had 18 home runs, 65 RBIs, and ended the year with a 780 OPS. That's a very nice, usable player, especially while he's on his entry-level deal. I think that's kind of what you're hoping for with Jake Neighbors. You hope that next year he scores 15 goals for you, finishes the season with like 45 points on the year, is a heavy presence inside of that lineup, maybe gets some brief opportunities on the power play, like works his way up your lineup at times if there's any sort of injuries, finishes the year playing like 14, 15 minutes a night. I think that's kind of what you're hoping for out of a 21-year-old Jake Neighbors, and that should be considered, in my opinion, a successful season. I don't think he's Nolan Gorman. I think your Nolan Gorman is Jimmy Snoogerwood. That's the guy that has a potential special skill within your minor league system right now. I think Jake Nabors is your Dylan Carlson, where he is, like, in the baseball lineup equivalent, your six-hole hitter. And for the Blues, probably a future third-liner that can play up or down depending on the scenario.
1: Yeah, I I think he can he kind likes of, that.
0: Alex kind of likes that comparison.
1: I, I, I do like kind of the Carlson <laughs> one because I, I tend to agree. I don't know if he has a great uh any anything great in his skill set but he's a solid player can he get you 10 15 goals next year When when i think of the nolan gorman kind of um can he become what nolan gorman was for the cardinals this year i i think what i'm thinking of that with neighbors is can he really solidify himself as hey that guy's definitely a piece of our team moving forward in the future because right now i, I think it's more of yeah you say it but it's kind of like written in pencil i i don't think it's written in pen hey jake neighbors is a key part of the future for the St. Louis Blues, he's got to take the next steps to prove that because right now, and look, I'm not saying, oh, such a bad year, you can already start considering trading Jake Neighbors. No, last year was a rookie year. You're going to go through ups and downs in a rookie year. But where you really need to see strides from a any player in any sport is from that rookie year to that second year. And how big of a stride do they take forward?
3: I, I, I like the Jimmy Snuggerud one because I really do believe Snuggerud is going to be a top six winger for you by next season not this coming season Jake Neighbors is intriguing to me because I think Jake Neighbors has the potential to be what Sammy Blay was last year for you and and Sammy Blay was a really good piece in terms of hitting everything was a contribute a contributor in the top nine can score you goals but is more effective in terms of energy for the team honestly Jake Neighbors and Sammy Blay are kind of going to be filling that void this season in terms of Ivan Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist in terms of energy, performance, defense and physicality. That's what they need from those two. And don't overlook what those two did together at this world championships. They played online together for Team Canada and won a gold medal. And a lot of it was because the offense that Sammy Blay and Jake Neighbors provided. I don't think either of these guys are going to be anything more than a 20-goal scorer in a regular season, but I think they're going to have more of an impact on the Blues this year, filling a void that they lost over the last two seasons of guys like Barbashev and Oscar Sundquist, guys that can bring the physicality, can bring a presence on and off the ice, and can provide something to Craig Ruby that other guys simply can't do.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. A potentially interesting piece of trivia would be, when was the last time that the Blues had a 21-year-old player score at least 25 goals in a season? I don't have the answer to that question, much like somebody didn't have the answer to a question this morning. We'll tell you who that is next on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario.
1: Brought to you by Fenton Bar & Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out.
3: Seven days a week.
0: Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. so I listen to the mo- uh, The morning show every day when I'm Driving into work and then I listen to it as we're getting Ready in the morning as well I enjoy their program If you missed it uh, check it out on the podcast Page 101 ESPN.com the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it it's all Presented by Dobbs Tire And Auto Center's nice company man Alex One of the questions that we get a lot on the Text line is hey why don't you guys Do one of those trivia segments The morning show does it afternoon show Does it you guys never do the trivia First of all, I'm bad at trivia. Second of all, so that's part of it. Second of all, I don't really like trivia all that much. That's another reason why we don't do it. Glad and it doesn't in matter charge what, of the whole show. You know, what
3: they want to do. It's about me. Oh, I'm in, I'm
0: in on that. I'd like to make it clear. I
3: love trivia. I
1: know as the producer who's coming up with those questions, and I hated every moment of that. during. The, uh, I'd like when to I make I it known that show. I love
3: trivia and would love to do trivia. Oh, shut up. And no, you third,
1: of all,
0: Undefeated. third of all,
3: well, no, I have a loss on the fast lane. I'm going
0: to be totally upfront and honest with you. I don't love the segment. So fourth of all, it is it is tough. And six point, He's <laughs> just a great guy. Uh, the final, I mean, I get it. I get why, especially the morning show does it. Randy's unbelievable. The bleep that he comes up with in his head, man, yeah. where he's like, I, I was tying my shoe and I walked up to the ballpark and I saw rod brindamore end up with the three goals in one game he's a hockey player i don't understand how that happened how the hell did that take place so anyways i bring all of this up because this morning was yet another reason as to why we do not do trivia on this here show i present exhibit a
2: Let's go through these answers because I'm gonna
3: get yelled at. <laughs> all right, uh, counting only interceptions from 1966 and on, which DB holds the NFL Super Bowl era record for interceptions? Paul Krause picked off 18 passes before the Super Bowl era technically began, which drops his total to 63. Which means Darren Woodson's
2: 71 is the Super Bowl era record. I mean, uh, who knows that? Why would why would somebody know from 1966 on? Why, why not have the time? Why, why not just have the all time record? <laughs> I wanted to go to the Super Bowl era. So you're just you're playing. Gotcha. That's fine. Oh, okay. when I I'm not, read not trying from to play 19- yeah, why, not, why not do it from 1983 on? <laughs>
3: Well, because that's not when the Super Bowl era starts. Congratulations, Bill. We will talk to you tomorrow.
2: Thank you. Yeah, we'll, cut, uh, we'll get you cut a few more gotcha <laughs> questions. That's one of the stupidest questions ever.
3: It's one of the, really one of the,
2: one of the most ridiculous questions and answers ever. Uh, my great friend Brad Barnes is probably listening right now. Anthony Stalter. Has produced Michelle Smallman. produced said that the hardest thing she ever did in radio was coming up with questions for the fight. Yes,
3: and so it's inevitable that people are going to come up with stupid questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there is a greater quantity over the course of the last year plus, wow.
1: but it wow. is inevitable.
3: Who? Wow. Oh. Oh. Got spicy in here. I'm a little
1: upset. He forgot I was his producer for a little well, bit.
3: Yours was so such a s- small sample size. I,
1: never sa- I was never said to have stupid questions. Oh
3: no, he said it. He just didn't say it on air because he was
0: worried he was gonna upset you. That's fine. Trying to come up with questions for that segment has to be the hardest thing to do in radio. I, I think what Michelle said is 100 percent accurate. Because Randy's been doing the segment for a decade, dude. And if you repeat the questions, that's on you. And if you do anything about a home run derby, oh boy, you better get out of there. If you do something about an all star game, uh oh, that is not the question. If you put disclaimers on it, uh uh-uh, uh, no siree, that is not the route to go. You have to ask the right questions in the right way. And if you don't have backup for you having the correct answer, again, Randy's gonna call you out for it because he probably knows the right answer. So there are many reasons as to why we do not do trivia on this I show. Defend
1: rock on the question. <laughs> no, I, stop it. <laughs> I think I would. If you
0: if you listen to the morning show and you hear when Randy Who gets upset, Bowl that is one of many reasons as to why we do not do. Trivia. Look, we already don't get
3: along together (laughs) on this show. You add trivia to this, where somebody tries to stump (laughs) the other person. The the individual who gets angry might not be here the next day. Can you imagine
0: Tanner getting mad at one of us for trivia? Tanner could you imagine me? Tanner would walk
3: out the same day. Oh, yeah. I, I was walked out during the Chris <laughs> Sale segment. Well, <laughs> it was just a dumb take. So, I mean, come on now. See, that's what I'm well, talking words, about. What's worse? That take or a bad trivia question? Every
0: time that I say the word vehemently, I, I can see T-Bone taking off his headphones saying, Ryder, tell you.
1: That's and Ryder's going to have to that's take right, it over. Man. I te- just want you to know, Texan, I have a dartboard at home, okay? And any day that BK goes, I vehemently disagree, I pull out the little photo I have of BK. Put it on that dartboard, and I just thunk, thunk, thunk for about an hour to let out my rage. You're missing it all every text- time you hit hitting the wall. No, no, no like, that's in I I the dartboard.
3: Board. Somebody it's on the text line said, nose. does Randy
0: follow Rocchio on Twitter? Yeah, he does, I think. I'm sure he does, but I just
3: checked, still nothing for me. I, I don't think this segment's going to help my case. I, I just, I think it's hilarious <laughs> how Hope I, I didn't get unfollowed in this segment for agreeing with Rockio's I, question. I, I, I was listening to that on the way. <laughs>
0: And I, first of all, I was waiting for the complete and
3: total idiot. I was waiting for it. Before that even happened, Cary Davis read it and he chuckled. (laughs) And and I go, why is he laughing? And then when, when Cary read it after I said, oh, that makes sense. I thought it was hilarious how angry he got. (laughs) I will add this. I like chaos though. So Randy,
0: Randy is better at trivia than I am at anything. And so, That, that is a, an important disclaimer here Randy is amazing at the trivia stuff that he does And so like full credit to him For that I do not have that skill in my bag You know everybody's like I've Got different clubs in their bag that they're good at using Right Alex I'm sure this is a metaphor that you understand very well One of Randy's clubs Is that a shot at in- my wife again? What? No One of Randy's Unbelievable. clubs Is that he's he's really good at trivia He's smooth in and out of segments He is a really smooth driver of a show I don't have that club for trivia. Just don't have it. I also don't have this though. I, I don't have a moment like this on well, the radio either. From
3: the four one seven, I'd rather hear a bad trivia segment than you clowns bicker about fat babies, fat wives, and ice cream. So, see, that is a club I have. <laughs> I do have a club
0: where we talk about a personalized on the air. Quite I think a bit. I think that's very fun. I have not done this though. You're an I, idiot. You are oh, an yeah. absolute one hundred percent total idiot. That is one of my favorite moments in the history of 101 ESPN. It was amazing. Alex's Andy Dalton moment. That, T-bones this, this trumps it. T-bone, I forgot what your Sports Center update was specifically about. Oh, I couldn't <laughs> quit laughing. <laughs> that was amazing. And Randy calling Chris Ranji
3: a complete and total idiot. Those are like the top three things. I for was me. driving to a Blues pre and post game, and I heard. <laughs> I'll never forget. I had to stop driving because I was laughing so hard. I was crying. Absolutely. You're an no. idiot. You're an absolute complete idiot. <laughs> one of these days, we're going to have one of those moments. It's going to happen. Oh, for we've, this had, show. we've been close to it a couple of times.
0: Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to play a game of Believe It or Not. It's the only way that I can keep Tanner around is by doing that every Thursday on <laughs> hey, the show. No, but coming up me. next. What if the Cardinals don't have an immediate fix to their problem in their rotation? Is there any kind of a pivot that they can go to? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
2: You're an idiot. You're an absolute, 100% total idiot. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: was talking yesterday about the Cardinals issues with the front end of their rotation. I thought they had a really interesting segment Alex about what is the pivot Like, if you can't go out there and get the number one starter as we talked about earlier today, then what do you do? Here's what they had to say yesterday on the fast lane when discussing this potential issue that is a very real chance to happen as we get closer to the trade deadline. No, the Cardinals don't have an ace. So what would I do? I would continue to draft top-end pitching, and stock it. How's that going to help you though in the immediate future, though? It's, in the immediate future, you're screwed. Yeah. There's no pivot that you're going to like. You've got this gap where you've got young pitching that's not ready yet, and but an, an offense that's ready to go right now. So you ask, what's, what's the pivot? The pivot has got to be Matthew Libertor exceeding expectations, which is unfair for him, but that's kind of where we're at. Or you're going to have to add some bullpen pieces and try to shorten games in the playoffs, but there's no immediate solution to because of your point, Jamie, you don't have a ready ace available to you. I think there's a real chance that that ends up being the case where you get to the trade deadline and Shohei Otani's not getting moved. The Guardians are close enough that they're not trading Shane Bieber. They'll listen to him in the offseason, but they're not going to go ahead and make that move right now. Same thing is true for the White Sox, where they say, hey, we'll trade Lance Lynn. We'll trade Lucas Giolito. We're not trading Dylan Cease. We're not trading Kopech because those guys have years of control remaining, and we're still trying to compete. This team just didn't end up working out for us. Uh, You go around to other potential contenders like Cubs aren't trading for with you. Uh, You're not getting anybody from the Brewers. Like there's just there's not a lot of great options. The Miami Marlins, a bunch of their guys that they have available walk the world. And so, yes, they have good stuff, but it doesn't really fit into the criteria of what the Cardinals typically look for. Phillies don't end up selling. And so you end up being stuck. Where there's not an ace available, the Red Sox end up being a little bit better. They stick in it long enough to where they say, yeah, we're going to keep Chris Sale around. So now you're stuck and you're like, "Okay, well, we could go get Eduardo Rodriguez. But everybody now wants Eduardo Rodriguez. And so the price ends up escalating in a way that Cardinals aren't paying that for a rental. So what do you do? What's the pivot then for the immediate future? (laughs) Alex, I think my pivot would be kind of similar to what Stalter said there, but with one little caveat. Earlier today, Jeff Passan wrote a piece over in ESPN.com about what teams are likely to do as we get closer to the trade deadline. And he wrote about the Colorado Rockies. And he wrote, the most interesting group, Jesus, not this again, the most interesting team among the quartet of shame, which is the four teams that are just dreadful this year, are the Colorado Rockies. Outfielder Randall Gritchick oh is a God. free agent to be, Jesus, and he is currently batting 367 with a slugging percentage above mm-hmm. 500. Stinks. I would go get
1: Randall Gritchick. I vehemently agree. Oh, Jesus. This is one
0: of those uh, yeah, moves. Yeah, right? that'll help. I would trade straight up Tyler O'Neill for Randall Gritchick. I know that you're giving up a little bit of control here, but Randall Gritchick is a certainty. Now, the certainty is not great. What he's doing right now, not real. He's not going to be a 365 batting average guy. He's not going to hit for this much power consistently, but he is somebody that I do think can be a 265 hitter. He's going to be available for you almost every day. Over the past four seasons, he played 150, 150, 140 games. And in the shortened 60 game pandemic season, he played 55. He is out there to post every single day. He plays quality defense. That is the kind of guy that I would go after. I would go after certainty in the outfield, and then I would add bullpen arms. If there is one pivot that I would make at the deadline for the Cardinals, it would be acquiring somebody like him and then adding to the back end of the bullpen and then seeing where that gets me. Because if there's not a number one starter available, that's going to give you your best chance possible as we get closer to the postseason.
3: 408 batting average, 571 slug, and 1044 OPS at Coors Field. 289 batting average 400 slugs 740 ops on the road i would sign up for that
1: i'm, I'm better, that, that, that's better that's than every outfielder you've you got that's not making you a better team maybe.
0: it is because right now what i have in that spot is tyler o'neill who
3: does nothing cool what happens if he does nothing for you your pitching staff still stinks yeah so that's not a pivot what i'm
0: telling you is that might not be fixed like there may be no way to fix the pitching staff that you're talking about because the guys that you can go get, you're giving up real capital to basically get what you already have. Like Lance Lynn, I understand that people like him because of what he did here and what he's been in the past. Guys, Lance Lynn is Jack Flaherty. He got shellacked yesterday. There's, there's oh, no Mike real Trout's difference. Five hundred feet. He doesn't upgrade what you currently have. He's just a different name and a different face, and he looks a little different than the guys that you have currently in your rotation. That's it. There's not really a whole lot that he's adding to your rotation that you don't have. A little more swing and miss stuff. It goes about it differently, but he's not upgrading what you have. And you're giving up assets to be able to acquire that. So if you're going to go get another number 4 starter, I would just as well not acquire a pitcher. Or not not a starter. I, I, I would just, go get
3: a bullpen arm instead. Rather than Randall Gritchick, I'll just put Jordan Walker in my outfield. Because he could probably put up what Randall Gritchick's going to put up for you. There's cool. one. There, there's... Brendan Donovan should be the other outfielder for you. And I, think Lars he's gonna, your outfielder. I think he's going to have to play a little second base. I don't think he will. I think your second base is Nolan Gorman and Tommy Edman, Who's DH? Alec Burleson. We we all love Alec Burleson in he's this fine. building. He's fine. He's going to be like, it's not I, fixing the problem for you.
0: In a playoff game, I, I don't know what they'll do here, but if Jordan Walker's defense doesn't improve, I would have him as my DH in this scenario with Randall Grichik in the outfield because I get much better defensively and I keep that bat that you're talking about with Jordan Walker I, in the lineup.
3: I think all this is doing is... You're trying to plug a hole while the boat is sinking on the other side. And it, it's sinking a lot faster on the pitching side of things than you plugging this tiny hole of offense. Like you're off, you've built your offense to outslug pitching. That's what you've done with this roster. Going to add another bat to sit here and say, yeah, now we're going to outslug the competition. Cool, but your pitchers are still going to put you in a spot where you're out of a game by the third inning. So, as much as I say that, yeah, there's not an ace out there for you. My pivot would be fine. Go find a couple of other arms, whether it's back end of the rotation guys what or it's that bullpen guards.
1: I mean, That's what you got right now. That, yeah. That's my. But, that would be my. But counter. you don't have
3: guys that are getting it done. So go but find
1: somebody that can Lance get it done. Lynn you do the same degree I'm not as those Lance other players. I know, but that I'm using him about. as a filler just F- for example. Find
0: some bullpen pieces. I agreed. I would do that. What I'm saying is, I would get those bullpen arms that you're talking about, and Randall Gritchick. Like, if you can't get the number one starter, and that becomes an off-season need, well, then for this season, I do think. And people get mad at us because the Cardinals are under 500 and we talk about what they're going to add at the trade deadline. Guys, everything is relative to this National League and everything is relative to this specific division. The Cardinals are still competing right now. I know it doesn't feel that way because of their record, but they are there. I still would pick them today to win the NL Central. And so we're talking about them as though they're going to be in that mode at the trade deadline because I'm John Mosaylock publicly came out and said we're not selling this week. So that's that's why we're talking about this the way that we are when they get to the trade deadline. If they're not able to go fix their starting rotation, the best way to help your team for this year would be to acquire a certainty in the outfield, in my opinion, and to fix the back end of the bullpen and add a little bit of talent in that regard as well. I think those are the two places that I would identify because you're not adding anybody to the infield. That's spoken for. I They've got enough DH opportunities, enough DH bats that they can go out there and get. I think you need one more guy that's certain in the outfield. Now, Dylan Carlson could become that. It's possible that Carlson is the guy that we're talking about here. And he just you plug him in solid defensively. He ends up giving you a 270 batting average and he posts every day. That could be Carlson. If he doesn't, if he's more of a fourth outfielder, Gritchick is the guy that I or somebody like that doesn't have to be specifically him. But he's just a name that was made available in this in this piece. So I thought he made a lot of sense. And honestly, people are familiar with him here. So kind of understand what the player is. That's the kind of guy that I would be going out there.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's three things that you almost have to add if you can't get the ace. And, and one is still a starting pitcher. I, I, it's not so much the back-end four guy. I think you take a flyer on a guy that does have some swing and miss that profiles as like a three. Like a, to me, Giolito makes sense for the Cardinals. Here's my and I know question, he's a though.
0: What if you end up having to get, like, what if the price on him, because I think it's going to be higher than what we're expecting because of how few pitchers are available, what if they say, uh, in order to get him, you have to trade Brendan Donovan?
1: I mean, I probably I'm back away from that. that. I I don't think the price would be that high for Giolito a rental. But if it was, it will be. If it is that high, and again, I, I I'm going to vehemently disagree. I am not sure it'll be that high. But I I think if it's that high, you back away and you pivot and add two probably two bullpen arms in replacement. But but say it is a reasonable price and it's not Donovan, for example. Say they're looking more of like a mid tier prospect package or something along those lines one high-end prospect and a couple lower ones i would go out there and i'd add one pitcher that has a little bit of upside and some swing and miss giolito's the place filler here because i i do think he makes sense for the cardinals i I looked up his numbers yesterday from age i think he came up at 23 and he's i think 28 or 29 now very similar pretty close to what zach wheeler was and we all remember the cardinals had a chance to go get wheeler at the back end of his time in new york I would go add another bullpen arm, a guy that doesn't necessarily need control, but I'd go get another flamethrower to add to that pin so you can shorten games in the playoffs. And I would also look to add some consistency to the outfield. And I think Grichik does make sense because I know I'm getting 20 home runs, 20 doubles from him. Not necessarily in the second half when you have him here. But when you turn around his baseball card at the end of the year when it says time in Colorado and in St. Louis, he's going to be a guy that's going to provide some pop to this order and he's going to be hitting seventh for you. I think though Walker does feel like a guy that can fill that spot, there is still one more spot. And I tend to agree with you. I, I just don't I don't trust Alec Burleson. I don't get the good feelings about Alec Burleson. Not so much in the outfield, but also at the plate. So I would, if possible, make it to where Donovan's in second. You've got Edmond Orde Young at short. Gorman's your DH. And the outfield has now got three everyday starters in Grichik, Newpar, and Walker, but, if he's the guy up here, or Carlson if he fills that role. But we
3: literally just spent a segment in the 11 o'clock hour talking about how they're going to find more at-bats for Alec Burleson when Jordan Walker's recalled. And now we're saying that we don't trust him at the plate? I think that's what they
1: want to do. I think they want to get Burleson no, more at-bats. It. I don't want to see Burleson. I, do. I, I I think Burleson's a fourth outfielder. And if he gets more at-bats right now, that's fine. But I think they really want to see at-bats from Burleson. I'm okay with finding a replacement to where Burleson becomes a bench bat for the Cardinals. I think Burleson's fine. Like, I I, I'm
0: nothing more and he's nothing less. Thought, he's
1: what I thought Nupar was going into the year, a like fourth outfielder.
0: Yeah, I, I think that... If you end up with opportunities for Alec Burleson, I think you could do a lot worse. I think defensively he is below average. I don't think he's as terrible as some suggest. Um, But if you end up with him as your platoon outfielder, potentially in left field, I'm fine with that. I I think the real thing here is it's a con what we're really having without actually like naming it that we're having a conversation about Dylan Carlson. Because what you're really doing is, okay, you've got Walker. We expect at some point this year to, for him to be your everyday right fielder. That's our assumption. In center field, you're almost certainly going to have or at least one of the other two spots. Lars Newpar. He's an everyday outfielder for this team right now. And then there's that third spot. And Dylan Carlson could be that guy. But we have seen nothing now since the end of the 2021 season to dis, to suggest that he is going to be that guy. And so you don't need to make this move right now. This is a move that is much closer to July 31st than it is to June 1st. But if Dylan Carlson does not become the outfielder that they are seeking, they will eventually need to find somebody who can be that guy. I don't believe it's Tyler O'Neal. I would remove him from the equation entirely. I don't think he's a part of this team's immediate or long-term future. So going out and getting a guy for me, like Randall Gritschik I think helps you. And if there's a pivot to be had, for me, my pivot would be Going out and getting an everyday outfielder and getting a couple of bullpen arms. At the very minimum, we all agree that the bullpen part of this is an important
3: thing. <laughs> yeah, look, we can we can agree on something. This right here, folks, is why we don't do trivia on BK That's and right, Ferrari. Because we all vehemently disagree I, I just, on the correct route. <laughs> I just I feel like that we shouldn't even be talking about a pivot here. I don't think the Cardinals should have a pivot. I think the Cardinals should be focusing on what they absolutely need to fix this roster. I, I agree in, in theory.
0: But if we get to the trade deadline and there's three, let's say it ends up where there's three frontline starters available. Eduardo Rodriguez is almost certainly going to be one of those guys because, and somebody on the text line mentioned this, probably an important disclaimer, he's out for the next month. He's not pitching for the next month with a finger injury. But if he comes back and pitches the way that he did at the beginning of the year, he looks like a number one and he's going to have an opt out at the end of the season that he's almost certainly going to exercise so the Tigers would be silly not to trade him at the deadline. So there's one for you. Maybe you end up in a scenario where Shane Bieber is available. Who do you guys think is the next most likely frontline starter to be traded?
1: Probably Burns, and he's in the division.
0: Sure. So let's say it's Burns. Burns is not an option for you. Now you've got two frontline starters that are potentially available. One uh, One that is a rental. Cardinals aren't doing that. And now you're down to one, and it's Shane Bieber. There are a lot of other teams that are in the same spot as the Cardinals right now that need a front end starter. So let's talk about the Dodgers. Let's talk about the Atlanta Braves who have some pitching injuries of their own, the New York Mets who have some pitching issues that they're trying to deal with right now, the entire AL East, all of which could use another pitcher. Maybe the Texas Rangers want to add another starter that is cost controlled for next year as well. Now you're adding in five, six, seven other teams that are going to be in the bidding war for Shane Bieber. Now, suddenly, the cost gets exorbitant. And if we know anything about John Mose Lockett is this. He does not like paying top-end market prices for mid-tier level players or above-average level players, especially when it comes to prospect capital. He might be willing to do that in the offseason when it comes to money. He does not do that with prospect capital. And that's how you end up with us kind of understanding why he didn't make that move. Because at a certain point in time you may end up having to well overpay for a really nice starter that costs Mason Wynn and Nolan Gorman. The Cardinals just aren't doing that, man. They're just not going to be willing to do that. Coming up next, believe it or not, here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's use this as our freaking
1: bonding moment and nail this. that's not a good start to it. Alex is already hungry. (laughs) Damn right. Lunchtime. Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing
3: and a prayer. Who could?
0: It's just me. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort we Service closer. text line.
3: Yeah. For believe it or not, we closer together from that.
0: How'd you guys know. feel about the performance? Scale of one to ten. Well, yours was like a yeah. two. But, <laughs> really? Yeah,
1: I yeah. don't know. Something happened. A little
3: high over <laughs> yeah. there. I felt good about it. You hit that. uh <laughs> hit that soprano there for us, didn't I, you? I, I, just I, I felt I, like I, I was going for it. Yeah, you
1: definitely went yeah, for it. Yeah, you were. Not sure what you were going for. Went a little too
3: far. Maybe some windows breaking, but. I don't, I otherwise it was that. pretty good. Yeah. Believe it or not, the only reason BK can get that high of a note is because of his Adam's apple. No. I don't think
1: he Adam's apple for that. That's what the Adam's apples are for. No, man. It's
3: the opposite. It's the low No, the yeah. Adams apples are to hit those high notes.
1: Alright, three one four three
0: nine 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 six four six is the air Comfort service X line for believe it or Bigger they they are, Not. the higher you go. <laughs> Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will sign one of the players that is about to opt out of their minor league deal.
3: Nah. Who who's opting out of their minor league deal? (laughs) I've got some for you.
0: You want the list (laughs) for the Cardinals? No, from other teams. Oh, there's a deadline that's coming up here very soon. Okay, hit me with it. Uh, Multiple players are opting out of their current minor league level deals. Uh, This is one that happened earlier today was Cole Calhoun. Calhoun. Cole Calhoun. Cole. Another one that has an opportunity to do this is Sean Doolittle. Danny Duffy is on this list. Tyler Naquin with the Brewers. Now, he's been on the injured list since April 28th. So, you know, nobody needs that. Joe Ross is somebody that is on this list. Uh, Aaron Sanchez and really the the bell of the ball. Finn Gamble. Finn Gamble, boys. He is available once again, potentially. He's walking 17% of the time down in AAA for the Rays right now. Believe it or not, the Cardinals end up signing somebody. I believe it. That is currently on a minor
3: league deal with an opt-out. No, they're not going to sign anybody right now. They're trying to figure out how they're getting everybody in the lineup when we're back, right? We got a plethora of outfielders. Why would you go sign another one? Oscar Mercado doing somersaults in the back of the center field wall. I'm not believing this one. I don't see that happening.
1: I, I'm not going to believe it either. I, I don't know if there's a clear and absolute need. which they would bring somebody in? They've got one of their own to figure Trash. out. Andrew Suarez, my homie from the beginning of the year. Was How's it? he done? You know, you look at it, his peer numbers are not good. He's had a couple of blow-ups that have really inflated that ERA. But, hey, I just saw a tweet that, uh, that says in his last four appearances covering nine to third innings, only allowed one run and walk nobody.
0: That's great. I'm really happy for him, man. Slump or stink? stink. <laughs> slump for Actually, sure. Actually, that one sucked. That one no, sucked.
1: that's a slump.
3: That's a That's a suck. He was uh, Alex, what do you have training. for believing It or Not, buddy? Guys,
1: believe it or By not. By the way, I'm
3: believing it. They're going to sign somebody. Yeah, of course you would. I don't
1: remember what the question was anymore.
3: Ben Gamble will take Taylor Motter's role. Oh, yeah, that's right. Believe it or not, a former Blue that was traded at this past year's deadline will be playing in the Central Division again this year. Boy, there's a lot of math that has to take place O'Reilly, here. O'Reilly, so... Barbashev, Achari, oh, believe Tarasenko. It. Believe
0: it. O'Reilly's going to the uh, Colorado Avalanche. There's a report that Tarasenko could go to the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs>
3: I, I would be happy about, about that. Oh, would you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you'd enjoy that, would you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot, huh? Yeah, I think it would be great. For the Blues.
1: Why is that? Done play defense. You not score on that.
0: Yeah. I just think that it would, mm-hmm. I think it would be helpful for the Blues to go up against Vladimir Tarasenko as
3: many times as possible next
0: year. This did you, s- did you say
1: a Blue that got traded? Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say Thomas Grice might be somebody in this. <laughs> no, segment. Thomas Grice
3: might retire after this past year.
1: <laughs> I miss that guy.
0: Uh, can we get Noel Chari back?
3: No, honestly, I, Toronto's I'm not going to let him go. Okay. Oh, Ross Colton's a better Noel Chari. I know, but you know, I just. Yeah, but nah, I know I, Toronto, I play. If Toronto's going to lock up two people, it's going to be Luke Shen and Nolachari. Makes sense because it's the two elements that that team does not have: grit.
1: I believe it. I, I can see O'Reilly going to the Avalanche. I, if Vardy signs with the first, does O'Reilly
3: sign? I was just going to say. Honestly, I could see a scenario where at least, like, if you set the over/under at one and a half, I take the over. Because I I think it's $7 million to work with. You could get both O'Reilly and Tarasenko for $7 million. Oh,
0: I don't think you can. Oh, I think you could. I think Vladdy's going to end up with like a $5 million salary this offseason. Not because he's worth it, but I mean, you've seen the offseason free agents. They stink. Yeah, they do stink. They suck. It's a terrible group of free agency. Vladdy's like a top 10 free agent this Uh, year.
3: Honestly, and I can see Minnesota signing a guy like an Ivan Barbashev if he becomes available. That is something I would not like to see. He makes so much sense for the way they play. I don't know how Vegas lets him go, but Vegas has got obviously salary situations to figure out. Um, I could see Winnipeg if they're trying to reconstruct Nashville. Like you're telling me Barry Trotz would like to have a Ivan Barbashev or a... Ryan O'Reilly on that, that makes team. Makes a lot of sense to you. I, I don't be surprised if you're seeing
1: some familiar faces in the NL, or in the NL Central, in the Central Division this year. T-Bone? Guys, believe it or not, Von Herrera will be a piece that the Cardinals used to trade. Oh, believe Ooh, That's that. a really interesting one. And He's hitting I well mention, right now. His numbers in the month of May, these are absurd. We should call this guy up instead of no, Moises Gomez. Can't do that. 3.53 batting average, a 494 on base, a 632 slug. That's an 1,100 OPS. He's got two home runs, 16 RBIs. He's got 11 doubles in the month of May. Yeah, no,
3: I'm believing this one. I I mean,
0: by the way, this would be the exact time to do this, what you're talking about.
1: This year is the
0: time to trade. The Cardinals have this weird knack for holding on to guys one or two years too long while they've lost all their trade value. Even when we knew they didn't like them all that much, this is the time to make make that move.
3: I I mean, Andrew Kissner has already, I mean, he's the glorified backup for years to come. You just showed that Trez Barrera is in a better position than Yvonne Herrera. And they got a couple of kids, uh, Rodriguez, I believe his name is, that they're pretty high on. Like, he's supposed to be the next big thing in catching prospects oh for the Cardinals. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, he is going to be a piece of that trade value. And, I, frankly, it's, it's going to hurt you. I'll I
0: Jimmy Crooks is another name that they're really high
3: on.
1: I,
0: I'll, that was made up.
1: I, I'll believe it, too. What, what I'm fascinated to know is how he's valued across Major League Baseball. Because, remember, the main reason he was sent down? was essentially the same issues they claim they had with Wilson Contreras where it wasn't good enough game prep. He's not that great defensive or frame framing wise. He's got a pretty good arm back there and and I'm fascinated to know how he's viewed across baseball because he kind of screams where he could kind of be like a another version of Wilson Contreras maybe not a great defensive catcher maybe has a really good arm behind the plate but he's more known for his bat than he is for his defense. That's I, I hadn't
0: even really considered this one. Honestly,
1: it makes so much sense.
0: Um, he might he, he won't be a headliner He could be like the second piece In a relatively significant deal At the deadline Where you, I mean he's a top 5 prospect in their system He's a borderline top 100 prospect in Major League Baseball I I could totally see something Like this where you end up Having the headliner being like a Donovan or an Edmund Or somebody like that a current Major League Level piece Carlson And then the secondary piece is uh, you, you send
1: and you know who could use a catcher? Cleveland.
0: Especially one that can hit. Yep.
1: Sounds like really a perfect a match made in heaven. Can I give you another one? No, oh, I'm over here. Dude, I'm you spitballing. You don't get two, believe
3: it or not. Oh, yeah.
1: Dude, I'm spitballing ideas here.
3: So here's a... BK said, no, you
0: don't no, get I, it. I, I want to well, hear yours. But never mind. You, Go no you, break. Break. you got my wheels turning a little bit up here. There's
3: no wheels up there.
0: Avon Herrera, Dylan Carlson, Gordon Graceffo for Shane Bieber. Do you do that? I think that's probably too much, but just theoretically speaking. That's too much? I'd do that right now. I need too much control. <laughs> Where's the button? I was going to say. Persepo projects to be number three. You got a lot of those guys' real value, and Carlson has a lot of control. You got a lot of those so. guys being number 3 was
1: it, Wasn't it Cleveland that a couple—maybe I'm thinking the wrong team. There was a team a couple years ago that traded away Francisco Mejia. I thought it was Cleveland Yeah, at the that was time. Cleveland. Was to was to get. I thought it was a starter, but I can't remember who it was. I know that he was like one of those guys. that's like, Hey, he's kind of a cuss prospect. What do we do with them? And they said, we trade him away and a team took him on and became a starter right away. I thought it was to Tampa. Maybe it was to San Diego, it was Cleveland to San Diego. That's what it was. What was the, what was the trade? You have the, I don't have that in front of me,
0: but he was traded to San Diego. He,
1: he got dealt. And I thought they got a big piece in return. Uh, but that that's what Herrera reminds me of. Somebody could bring him in and just say, why not? Let's throw him behind home plate and see if he can figure it out offensively. I mean, if you're
3: telling me that's a package to get Shane Bieber, yeah, cool. Agreed. Where do I sign? I'm done with Dylan Carlson. Figure it out elsewhere. Yvonne Herrera is not even playing into your thing. And yeah, you're taking a chance with Graceffo, but you got McGreevy, you've got Hentz, you've got this jerpy, got a lot of guys who project to be in your rotation. You could find two threes, fours. Heck, you got your two and Michaelis. You could find threes and fours can't find somebody who could be a one brad hand and and adam simber were the two guys that they traded
0: him for so they got trade him for bullpen two arms. bullpen arms um uh, brad hand was a, a good bullpen arm yeah. so you got something out of it but yeah i mean that that shows that there's real value in something like this i i think i would do this deal i think i would do this deal t-bone what do you have for uh, believe it or not
1: the other one, one huh so this may work better as a question but i'll throw it here And believe it or not believe it or not if the cardinals can't get an ace at the deadline They try a top-end minor league prospect swap, and the one that I'm thinking of more specifically is what Miami did just a couple years ago where they swapped Zach Gallen for Jazz Chisholm in a minor league deal of two top-end prospects. So basically what I'm telling you is we're trading Mason Wynn for a minor league bullpen or minor league potential high-end star. So
3: another Rosarena for Libertor.
1: No, well, an actual high end. Basically, yeah. Well,
3: I was told Libertor was the next you
1: know, big thing. I don't I can't trade help for they pitching prospects. Scouting, r- r- scouting report wrong. Yeah. I, I don't think I, I'm, I'm d- doing that. I
3: do
0: not trade for pitching prospects in general. Just like, f- kind of so like how you have your My I draft. I never, never trade <laughs> up <in> the draft. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> have one <Yeah>. nice. <laughs> I don't trade for pitching prospects because pitching prospects will break your heart, man. I, I think back to so many of the guys that the Cardinals have had in the organization over the last. 15 Luke Weaver. years. I mean, Luke Weaver's one, but he was never really like a Shelby he's Miller. project to be a top end starter. Alex Shelby Reyes. Miller's one. Michael Alex Waka. Reyes is another. Oh, Alex Michael Reyes is really fine. the one that broke me. Th- there was no reason to believe that guy was going to fail. He had everything. Great stuff. Had the body you were looking Other for, like health. the makeup. Everything yep. was there. And then his body just betrayed him, man. He he can't stay healthy. And I think that's the case for a lot of these guys, especially the power arms. And that's really what you're looking for. You're not looking for a guy that's going to throw 92. That maybe is a really solid. No, no, no. You want a guy that projects to be a front end starter trading for that guy and trading a position player, which is much easier to project. I don't do that personally. I I don't think the Cardinals would. either.
1: I agree with you guys. I'm not. I wouldn't believe this. I, I just find it interesting because it certainly feels like something because the whole reason that trade happened was, Arizona said, hey, we don't have enough quality pitching prospect arms coming up to get to our team. We have a plethora of position players. We'll swap that, Jazz Chisholm at the time, for a team that has plenty of pitching in the Miami Marlins. And I wonder if the Cardinals would go, we don't have a ton of top end arms. What if we can swap a top end position player? And we've got a lot of guys coming up through the system. We'll swap win and go get an arm that we really like.
3: I If that guy's out there, great, but who's that guy? And that's the thing. I just... I, Anybody that I'm going to trade for, I'm going to sit here I'm and gonna say... Gonna,
1: you give T-Bone time. I could fall in love with a couple pitching prospects. Sounds like prospects. a Ferrari yes. 05. is going to fall in love for him, and then they're going to completely...
3: T-Bone doesn't love any starting pitcher. He just thinks they're all bad and vehemently disagrees trading for them. <laughs> it, you're going it, it, to... Taj gets Bradley. A, uh, a
0: pitcher Taj for... Taj Bradley? Yeah, a t- pitcher for the... Uh, <laughs> instructingly enough, Tampa Bay Rays. Top 20 prospect in Major League Baseball. I'm mean, um, in. Because Tampa
3: develops
1: pitchers. <laughs> Yeah, they just This like year in
0: five starts for Durham Has an 11.25 ERA Ooh, yeah. Last year Had a 2.5 ERA oh, Sounds like he's just sucking so we can get to St. Louis That's right, that's all that he's trying to do here Last year I in mean, 130 like innings Struck out 141, so he's got strikeout stuff That's your guy you Coming up next
3: with trading with Tampa.
0: There are two sweet spots For a potential trade-up for the St. Louis Blues In this year's draft We'll tell you what they are coming up next here on 101 ESPN Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario for just about another 25 minutes here on 101 ESPN coming up at the top of the hour. We'll have the fast lane for you. They have their presentation until 6 o'clock. But right now, Alex, there are, in my opinion, two different sweet spots for the blues as we get closer to the NHL draft that appear to be the real options for them when it comes to trading up in the draft. There is no chance they get up to number one. Connor Bedard is going to be the number one pick. He will be selected by the Chicago Blackhawks. And that is, you can write it in pen today. It's basically been the case since it was announced that the Blackhawks won the lottery.
3: Yeah, I think I read he's already searching for apartments in Chicago. That's so. amazing. Okay, cool. The number
0: two pick is where this draft, <clears throat> shockingly, is starting to get interesting. So the Athletic did their most recent mock earlier today. And this is what their draft analyst had to say. I do think that there is a real chance at a debate as to who the number two pick will be. There are a lot of Leo Carlson advocates, although Fantilli is the traditional name that you hear here. I'm less confident about Fantilli being the obvious number two pick today than I was before the world championship happened. Fantilli is the guy that you love, Alex. Yeah, I think he's going to be a stud. center that's... Right now, going to Michigan, he's going to be yeah. with Snugard, right? Yeah. No, Snugard's
3: Minnesota. Adam Fantilli's been at Michigan, but yeah. Fantilli's at Michigan. He's the guy that is a, a stud. He'll be a Hobie Baker Award. I, I, I don't know. Be- Cooley won it, so he'll probably be the Hobie Baker Award winner this upcoming season. He's a stud. He has been the classic
0: right at in pen He's going number two overall. But the World Championships have changed that a bit. Mm-hmm. And so this is where I think that it gets really interesting. I think there is a second tier in this year's NHL draft that is two through four. It's Fantilli. It's Leo Carlson, a center from Sweden. And now it's Will Smith, a center from the U.S. And it seems like he's the guy that's getting a lot of buzz as well. Carlson and Smith are the two guys that have seemingly moved up the ranks. It's not so much about uh, Fantilli moving down. It's other guys re- reaching up. I think the first potential trade-up spot for the Blues, Alex, is number four with San Jose. And that is regardless of who remains, whether it's Fantilli, Carlson, or Smith, whoever quote unquote drops to number four, and there will be one of them that is there. I think that's the first place that could potentially make sense for the blues to have
3: that trade up. Yeah. I I don't see Anaheim or Columbus trading their picks. I see San Jose willing to trade. Here's the part that gets interesting, though. Let's hypothetically say Leo Carlson goes at number two. Columbus swoops in at number three because Fantilli should not be sitting there. That leaves Will Smith available to San Jose at four. Now, San Jose might say we didn't think he'd be available to us. We thought that might be Leo Carlson. Some people have been lesser on Leo Carlson than others because he's a bit slower than most would like at a center position. Regardless, all three of these guys are huge. San Jose might say, "Ah, we think we can get better capital in terms of more picks. Blues absolutely jump into that spot. The same can be said if Fantilli goes at two and Columbus goes after Will Smith at three. And then Carlson's available at four. Carlson drops at four. That's the thing. Any of those three would be a great pick at number four. I don't see Adam Fantilli getting to number four unless both of those teams fall in love with other guys and Fantilli just drops. But I don't see that happening. You get to four... That tier that we're talking about is the tier of X player impacting your team this season. If it's Fantilli, Carlson, Will Smith, I would fully anticipate, if you're the Blues and Giraffe, one of those guys, look at that and say, he's playing in our top six next season, top nine next season. So that's the tier that if I'm Doug and the player falls to four and San Jose answers the call, figure out whatever you need to do because that is a franchise-altering Player. So then, I think there's a tier break. It's the number one pick. That's Connor
0: Bedard. He is in his own tier right now. And then it's two, three, four, where it's Fantilli, Carlson, and Smith that are in that range. And four is probably the spot that I would assume Doug Armstrong is probably targeting right now. Saying if there's a trade-up spot in the top five, it's probably at number four. I don't think there's really any reason to move up to number five. Like once those four players are off of the board, you you probably put the phone down for a minute and say, okay. We're gonna chill out here for a little bit, and then there becomes another opportunity, and I think it's in the the back half of the top ten, somewhere around six, seven, eight, nine. If Mikov is still there, if he falls a little bit. That is where they will have their next discussion of, is it worth it for us to trade up for this specific player? Because he will be the one player out of that group after the top four that still has star potential. There are a lot of questions, a lot of caveats that come with him. You don't know when or if he's going to be able to come over. It's going to be at least the next three years. There's a KHL. There's the Russia conversation. Like, there's a lot that goes into this, but that's the next one for the Blues. And then after that, I think the conversations are over and you stay at number 10. Yep. I think that's it. I think the Blues are trading up for one of four players. It's either Fantilli, and I don't think he's really an option, Carlson, Smith, or Mikoth. Yep. If you don't get one of those four as real trade-up conversations, then you stick at 10, and it seems like this is a deep enough draft based on all of the reports that you're going to get a really good player that whether it helps you two years from now, three years from now, whatever. You're going to get a guy that ends up being one of the top prospects in the system because of where you're selected. Yeah,
3: six and eight is that next spot. Arizona, I believe, would trade with you if you feel like we can get Meekoff right here and then eight with Washington. I don't think Washington would trade with you if Meekoff is there because they might look at this as like, hey, let's get Meekoff. That trade would probably have to be more significant than you'd like to cough up for it. So that's where you drop to 10. And if Mikoff is gone, I'm with you. I've seen so many people, and in the mock draft today uh, on the athletic, they had Tom Willander, the defenseman, selected at number 10. Whoever you get to the point at 10, you're going to take the best available player, and I do believe there will be a team between one and nine, I'm sorry, two and nine, that takes a risk on somebody that's not projected in the mock draft. It happens every year where somebody takes a player that was projected to be 15 through 20, and they say, no, this is the guy for us. That pushes a guy back. So if I'm not getting Meekoff and I'm not getting one of those top guys in terms of trading at number four... I stay at 10 because I'm either going to get a centerman, whether it's this Dalibor Dvorsky or this Ryan Leonard that I've brought up. Maybe it is David Reinbacher or Tom Willander if they're there for you. I'm going to select whomever's available to to me at 10 and I'll do my wheeling and dealing with my late first round picks. But those late first round picks are on the board. If I can move to four or six and get one of these franchise altering players. Somebody on the text line from the 314 asks what
0: would it take to trade up to number four? What would it take to trade up to potentially get Mikov? I think to get up to number four, you're probably talking about all three of your first round picks.
3: Yeah, and probably somebody in your system. I, I think if you're San Jose, you're probably asking for Zachary Bolduc. Sure. and then at, at, if you're going
0: up for Mikov, it's probably you're trading 10 to move up and then you're attaching one of those like
3: first two. round picks. And then maybe like a third round pick or so, a second round pick next year. Something like
0: that. So it, it will not be nearly as significant in terms of the trade up cost for a Mikov. First of all, because there's real question marks surrounding him. And second of all, because it's a, it's a smaller trade up to get into the top four. You're going to have to give up a significant hole. And this brings us to the next question, Alex. How do you think that Bulduk and Perunovic specifically play into this? Because I can't see any scenario where the Blues are out here trading Dean. They targeted him for a reason, Zachary Dean. I can't see any reason why they would trade Stuggerud. Jake Neighbors or Jimmy Snooger. Those guys are big parts yeah. of the near and long-term future of the Blues. Bulduk and Perunovic are two guys, though, that we've heard their names for quite a while. We don't really know what the plan is for them long-term. That doesn't mean it's they're not a part of it that they can't be a big part of it. But where do you think they fit into all of these conversations?
3: So I think they're two separate pieces. Scott Perunovich. I don't know how much trade value is out there because of the last two seasons. Scott Perunovich. I think the Blues are looking as a, a gamble situation where it's like, hey, let's bet on this guy to be something of significant to us. And look, if he gets injured, well, we're right back where we were the last two seasons. So I don't see them, unless somebody is desperately wanting Scott Perunovic and, and you're going to get something that helps you now, I don't see Scott Perinovich going anywhere. I think he's a part of your six to eight defenseman next year. I've said this to you guys before. I've said it on the air before. I think Zachary Bolduc is a trade chip for Doug Armstrong. Whether it's move up in the draft to get to number four with San Jose, because if you're San Jose, you're getting somebody who could impact your team within the next two years. I fully expect Zachary Bolduc to be playing in the American Hockey League this season if he's on the Blues roster. But I also look at Zachary Bolduc a lot like... The Blues looked at Jordan Kyrou in the first couple of years of him. I mean, Doug Armstrong even basically said he had to go back to juniors after training camp this year because they wanted him to work on elements other than goal scoring. Yeah. That tells me that you're great at scoring goals, which is great for this team, but you're going to have to find other elements to your game. FYI, you're probably not impacting our team for a couple of seasons. But if I can trade Bull Duke and two picks that are in the first round and get a Leo Carlson a will smith that could be playing in my top six this season yeah i think bold Nuke becomes a trade chip for you i I think it makes a lot of sense and then it just becomes a question of
0: what all do you have to package to get up to that uh spot where you can get one of those top four players i I think that when you look at the the board the way that it's falling bedard is one you can write off the number one overall pick the next spot where blues fans start to uh, have conversations two three four and if the blues don't move up there There's one more guy that they could potentially move up for, and it's Mikov. And then after that, they stick a 10, pick the best player available, and then you probably just stick with the picks that you've got. Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a Daily Rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan. Featuring zero fees and zero closing costs.
0: Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. We've had some animosity towards yeah, each it's, other both on and off
3: the air today on the show. So what we'll try to fix that Tanner, before we I get. I hope you have a better attitude come Monday after your road trip with Meemaw.
0: Before I'm not going to be here Tomorrow, uh, I will be here for a portion of the show on Monday. Alex will be carrying uh, the show with the weight of the world on his shoulders on Monday. So looking forward
3: to that. My shoulders hurt all the
0: tomorrow, time. Tomorrow. We will be out at the Cintine Community Ice Center because Alex is going to have an opportunity to talk with uh, Blue's president of hockey operations Doug Armstrong will get the latest updates on what his plans are going into the offseason so looking forward to that very much looking forward to hearing what Alex has to take away from that conversation uh, we'll bring that to you tomorrow between 11 to 2 right here on 101 ESPN if you missed any of our conversations today be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101 ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app is where you go to find it it's all presented by Dobbs higher and auto centers Alex tonight is the start of the NBA finals he- <laughs> (laughs) Heat versus Nuggets. Nuggets are a nine-point home favorite in game one. I love the Nuggets in this game. I think Jokic is just too much. I don't think there's anybody on the Heat that has any chance of slowing him down, much less stopping him. He's one of the best passers in the league, regardless of position. And oh, by the way, he's one of the best post scorers in the league as well. I think they win this one by like 15 points. I don't think this is going to be a complete domination the rest of the way, but game one, this is just such a different animal for the heat to be able to go up against compared to what they just faced in the boston did, Celtics. did
3: i read it correctly that the heat have only lost one game one so far through the postseason i think that's or was right that the
0: nuggets uh they have started out three and oh in game ones of their series the heat
3: have mm-hmm. that's why i i do believe it's going to be closer than what the odds are giving the nuggets like i think it's going to be less than nine points I'm going to be very intrigued to see how Adebayo and, and Jokic go head-to-head because I love the way that Adebayo plays. He plays like, awesome. he plays old school underneath the basket. He's physical. He did a really good job of limiting the amount of drives to the hoop by Jason Tatum in that series against the Celtics. So I, I like the Nuggets in this series because of the depth that they have on their roster, but I do wonder if the stars show up for the heat in terms of Jimmy Butler and Bam.
1: I, I think this finals reminds me of a lot of what kind of that – finals were where you had Golden State beat Cleveland in five and then in four games. I I think what happens is I think tonight's game is probably the closest of the series. So I actually like, what did you say, nine and a half? I actually like Miami at plus nine and a half tonight. I, I think once you get past tonight, once they lose, it's a tough loss in game one. Then all the momentum swings to Denver, and, and put I, all your I think energy they win in, in that
3: first game.
0: Yeah, and
1: I, I think Denver wins this in either four games or in five. I think this is going to be the closest game outside if Miami wins the one that I just said. But I think I, Game
0: I, Three is the one that Miami gets going back home to Miami. That's when I think they get one. I,
1: I could see that. I, I just think it's so much in favor of Denver that I, I think you get one close game on the road for Miami. They probably get smoked in Game Two. Maybe they win that third game that we're talking about, and then they get blown out in four. I'll tell you what be
3: interesting. They, they were talking about it on the broadcast in that Game Seven and talked about how Pat Riley has been in terms of scouting the other team for the Miami Heat. I wonder how much of that element plays no into scouting. it. The scouting
0: for uh, Jokic is—you
3: guys remember Bill Walton?
0: <laughs> this is Bill Walton who can shoot. It's basically what he is. He's the best passing big man I've seen in my lifetime. I, I've Tanner's- never probably trying and trade him. I've never seen anything like it. It's like unbelievable. Indeed. And so if you're somebody that di- him. if you're somebody that has not watched a lot of Nuggets basketball, I mean, there's no Cardinals on tonight, no Blues to watch tonight. There's no oh. real local sports going on. Shots fired, man, okay? What? They were in the Stanley Cup in yeah, this time of the five years ago. four years. Um, four years? Holy hell. It, it, <laughs> if you have an opportunity to watch them tonight, I, I would recommend doing so. We'll yeah. have the game on the air right here on 101 ESPN pregame coverage starting at 630. Uh, Nikola Jokic is, yeah. is an Unbelievable player. Uh, by the way, the Fastlane and the Riz show from 1057 The Point, they're squaring off once again in the Softball Home Run Derby hosted by the O'Fallon Hoots. It's all presented by Swiss Air Heating and Cooling and Complete Auto Body and Repair. For GA tickets, go to 101ESPN.com. While you're there, you'll see Andrew Jones, Mike Badini, Scott Spezio, and Bohart participating in the Alumni Home Run Derby as well. They'll tell you more about that coming up on the Fastlane, and I'm sure plenty more shenanigans from the guys here from 2 to 6 on 101ESPN.